Welcome back to Second Short. It is Friday, March 10th, 2023, and I'm going to be honest, there's not much going on in sports. Uh, there's not much going on in the NFL. Uh, it seems like all the news came Friday to Tuesday, but that doesn't mean that we can't have some fun. There's a little bit to go going on, little whisperings about what happened over the last couple of days in the NFL. We've got the top 10 NFL tight ends from this season list that we're going to give you. Talk a little bit of World Baseball Classic, uh, UCL round of 16, leg two. Uh, we're going to get those first four matches for you. Talk a little bit of Premier League weekend. And then we'll hit Do You Remember and we'll get out of here. Without further ado, Luke, let's go ahead and get into it. NFL Dude, news, so much going on. I am so excited for our crime segment in this episode. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of awful shit, but I yeah. I like that our NFL news has kind of became like a little crime segment, too. <laughs> yeah, I wish it wasn't that way, but it just has Me to too. be. Exactly, but we're going to report it. All right. Let's do it. Well, we'll get to the crime, but let's start by an absolute crime of a deal that was made over the weekend. Uh, the Daniel Jones contract. Um, I, we talked about it on Wednesday's episode, but $40 billion a year for Daniel Jones. He kind of just robbed the Giants organization. But Giants GM Joe Schoen uh, was asked if he thought he'd be re-signing Daniel Jones to a long-term deal at this time last year. He said, if I thought that we would have been here a year ago, I would have done a fifth-year option. Very smart, kind of, you know, like it makes sense, but it's also like this kind of sounds like you shouldn't have signed him for $40 million. <laughs> exactly. Um Forty mil, man. I, I don't know. And you, you especially, Grayson. I'm, I'm surprised that you're taking this side on it, because you, you talk very highly of Daniel Jones and his, you know, dual threat esque style of play. And I mean, he's young; he can only get better. But forty mil is a lot of money for this dude right now. Dude, like the problem is, is like he should not be making as much money as Matthew Stafford. That's no. how I see it. He shouldn't be making as much as Matthew Stafford. He does make as much as Dak, but I think Dak's overpaid. He shouldn't be making more than Kirk Cousins. Damn. Is that is that a wild thing to say that he shouldn't make more than Kirk Cousins? I don't think so. Not anymore, dude. They're, okay. Minnesota's offense was crazy. Yeah, like, I think that's just the situation we're in. Does he deserve that money? Yeah. Is this deal going to look bad three years down the road? I don't think so. I think with the way that the QB market's going, you're lucky that just over half of his contract is guaranteed at $82 million. But I think that, you know, in the current market, because the the only big deal right now is Deshaun Watson. Obviously, we're just sitting around waiting uh, for Lamar Jackson to get a fully guaranteed contract because that seems to be the way that we're going with it. But I think getting Daniel Jones, locking him up, was great. I think they could have handled the Saquon situation a little bit different, but that's besides the point. I do want to talk about, though, uh, a process that I wasn't aware of um, in how the NFL is a little bit different from other leagues and how they handle guaranteed contracts. So NFL teams are required to put guaranteed money into an escrow account the day that the contract is signed. So when an NFL team signs a player, it has guaranteed money in the contract. They're required by the NFL to put that money into an account for future use. 
what that means is, let's say Deshaun Watson has a $230 million deal in, or $230 million in guarantees. The team has to deposit $230 million into an account that day. And I think that is a big part of why teams are hesitant with Lamar Jackson right now is he's looking long-term. Because Deshaun, they were able to kind of lower the years a little bit because there was problems going on. Lamar Jackson's probably looking for 8 to 10 years, and he's probably looking in the $50 million a year range or more. That is a lot of fucking money for any owner or any front office to immediately put in an account the day that he signs that contract. Yeah. Um, I, I get it, you know, cause that, that's the guaranteed money. So it should be guaranteed. Right. And I, I understand like all the safety behind it, but that, you're right. That That's a extremely strange rule. Can, I mean, you're moving a lot of money there yeah. into an account. It, it's just weird. And the main reason behind that is to, you know, ensure that if an NFL team like went under, you know, randomly, they're not, they, you know, they can't avoid pay, paying a player. Um, but other sports leagues have guaranteed money in their contracts and they don't have this rule. Um, the owners do it pretty much as a way to avoid people signing players to fully guaranteed contracts. Obviously, Deshaun Watson being the first to do it. And I don't know. I think it just it's bad for the future for owners because... If yeah, you can you know talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Can you sign a guy to a five hundred million dollar guaranteed contract over you know eight years or ten years? Who knows? Because do you have five hundred million dollars lying around to put into an account? I don't. I <laughs> I barely have five hundred. Right. I, yeah. That. Very strange rule, and yeah. I don't know. I, I get it. You know, NFL owners, they're, they seem to be more so than the other leagues, always kind of coming together to talk and, you know, have rules and stuff that protects them. And I, I definitely understand this one, but like I said, it's just it's strange to talk about this. It's a weird rule. Yeah, it seems to be one of the only leagues where the owners just really bust their ass to protect themselves over and over again. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Oh. It's weird. There, there's a lot of injuries, you know, in the NFL more so than any other sport. Maybe it's a lot of that. You know, they're trying to protect themselves from players coming back to sue, you know, um, which is I know definitely happened in the past with, you know, certain contracts and like the NCAA and stuff. But I don't know. Yeah. NFL owners, they, they seem to always be collaborating more so than, you know, any of the other sports leagues. Yeah, it's it's just a weird league in the sense of like how it's just actually run. But um, let's talk a little bit more about this Ravens and Lamar Jackson situation. So Robert Griffin, the third tweeted out um, that according to a team source, the Ravens hope negotiating with other teams will give them and Lamar an unbiased look at the market for him. The Ravens aren't reluctant to give Lamar a top quarterback market deal, but they hope that the non-exclusive franchise tag will speed up their own stalled negotiations with him. So essentially what Robert Griffin III has just said is that the Ravens don't know how much Lamar is worth. 
so they're letting other teams determine his worth, and then they're going to offer him a contract. Interesting. What does if that, um, does that not sound wrong? Like, does that not sound like that shouldn't be the case? It does because I was just about to say a team like Atlanta, if they were to go for Lamar, I feel like they would go all out and maybe make him the top paid quarterback in the entire league. The Ravens may may not though. That that's kind of if I was a team, it's kind of like you're you're giving up control of your own player there and letting other teams that aren't you value your quarterback yeah kind of strange very strange yeah i think it's super weird but you know kind of a contributing factor of this and it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with guaranteed money is that if a team signs lamar jackson uh to an offer sheet uh baltimore will have five days to match them so as much as you can test the market if lamar gets an offer and he really likes it You've got five days to make up your mind, and that is not a long time to you know, decide whether this huge amount of money is worth it or not. And, and going back to what we just said, you know, if it, if it has guaranteed money, which it obviously would, that's five days to think if you want to move that much money into an account like that. Or that you uh, even can. Or, or that you even can. I, oh man, I feel like the Ravens have really like just fucked this entire situation with Lamar, and they're really because honestly, after after all this trouble that they've gone through, I think Lamar actually wants to stay in Baltimore. The fact that he is not signed somewhere else, of course, we don't know if he's been offered, but ah, uh, it cool. it's just really strange. It, it seems like he's pretty committed to them, and I feel like the Ravens are pretty lucky to have him committed there because they have completely fucked it. I think. Yeah, so technically he can't sign anywhere else yet. He's got to wait for the new league year to start, uh, which is okay. March 15th. But gotcha. the fact that we haven't heard anything about any teams offering him is kind of surprising. He hasn't agreed to any terms yet, which, okay, J.J. Watt actually tweeted about this and said, um, like, don't you don't always have to believe or think that what you've seen somebody report is what's going to happen because any NFL team could secretively do something. It's just, you know, do they want it to get out? Because sometimes it kind of helps when when a move comes out before, you know, it's really done. Because it kind of garners excitement for what's going to happen. But... I think that that's a valuable part of this. I think a lot of teams are being secretive because let's say the Falcons offer $500 million guaranteed over eight years. I don't think that's the case, but um, let's say they did that and it came out. Well, now Carolina knows exactly what they're offering. Yep. What makes them not, you know, switch up the deal, make it a little bit better and then put in that offer. So Teams are going to force themselves to be secretive. We're not going to know the offers until it's signed. Yeah. So it, it makes I, this it makes this situation ten times harder to follow because in the past everybody's you know negotiations seem to be very public. Yeah, not this time. Definitely not. Um, very strange though. I. 
I, I honestly, I, I think once he signs, I would be so curious to know what he was offered by teams. Yeah, I know. It'd like, be really cool to look at. The thing is, is that he in this situation, he essentially gets three. He has three options here. Okay, he signs an offer sheet from another team, and the Ravens don't match. Okay, or he signs an offer sheet from another team, and the Ravens match. So he stays with the Ravens and gets paid whatever that team offered. His third option yep. is that he doesn't like any of the deals he's gotten and he doesn't sign shit and he gets paid $32 million next year. Yep. <laughs> like he's worth more than $32 million. So he has now, because the negotiations didn't quite go the right way throughout last season. He's now in a spot where he's either taking a tremendous pay cut from what he's really valued at. Yep. Or he's going to end up signing a contract that maybe isn't the best option for him. Exactly. Um, And, and, you know, kind of going back to what I just said earlier, the Ravens are really lucky that it seems like Lamar probably wants to play there. Of course, we don't really know that because like we've already talked about, it's a super secretive, you know, negotiations with Lamar and, you know, the NFL. But I I don't know. I, I think Baltimore is completely fucked it for Lamar, um, especially, you know, bringing up those three points that you just brought up. But, you know, it, it seems like he's committed to them and the Ravens should feel very lucky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that both sides, they have leverage in this negotiation. I think they both know what they want and what they're willing to give. It's just about finding a number, a very arbitrary number that, you know, outside of the Ravens' pockets and Lamar Jackson's pockets doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think that this is such a big deal. But, you know, this is what we love. We love this kind of shit. I'll be honest. I've loved following this. Yeah, the free agency is always just so sick, especially in today's world. Like, you know, with players getting signed to these, like, mega contracts, I feel like free agency has just taken on, like, a whole different meaning as I've gotten older. And it's definitely more entertaining than it was when I was younger. Dude, I think that free agency is, like, the second most exciting part of every sports season. It's, like... The playoffs, free agency, trade deadline, opening games. Yep. That's kind of how I see it excitement-wise with every sport. Yeah, I can pretty much agree with that. All right, well, let's talk about the odds on Lamar Jackson's next team. So tons of teams have reportedly dropped out because of the demands of uh, the you know trading or getting him through this non-exclusive franchise tag, which is – your this year's first round pick and next year's. So Falcons, Commanders, Panthers, Raiders, among others, um, are out essentially. Now, odds on favorites, if not the Ravens, are the Lions uh, are the the highest favorite at plus three hundred. So weird. The Buccaneers, the Colts, the Jets, and the Patriots and Titans are both at plus seven hundred. But the way I see this, the Patriots are not going to pick him up. That's a a done deal. 
the Jets aren't going to pick him up, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yep. I don't think the Buccaneers would pick him up. I think the Colts. I think the Colts want to go young, and the Lions have no reason to do that. They have Jared Goff now. They can draft a young quarterback in this draft. They're not getting Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I don't even think the Lions need to do that. I mean, when we did our quarterback list, you and I had the same reaction of Jared Goff. He was sick last year, last season. Yes, and he's uh, statistically been a fantastic quarterback. Sure. I think that they're just kind of preparing themselves for the future, and I think that this is a draft, as, as well as next year, that's deep enough with quarterbacks that you can get one late and you can feel good about it. Exactly, but I, I just wonder why they're, they're top favorites to get him on our odd sheet here. I think it's Very probably hard. based off of um, picks and how the team's performing for the future. So, like, the Lions have kind of a middle pick this year. It looks like they'll probably be better next year. So their pick will be late again. That's probably why. But, you know, circumstances-wise, there's no reason for them to pick up Lamar Jackson. No, um, I do think, you know, as far as the way that their team plays, though, I think out of every team that you just read off, the Lions would be the best fit for him, only because the Lions have already two amazing running backs in DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. Plus, Lamar would finally have a wide receiver in Among Raw, and they just have a very kind of like, I, I don't know, I, I don't really have like the stats or like, I, I can't really talk about this much, but it feels like the Lions run a very different offense as opposed like to the rest of the league, where it's a lot of like short passes and run plays. And I think Lamar would fit perfectly in that system, but they definitely don't need him. Yeah, I think he'd also fit in with the Jets as well, but uh, I, he's not a fit with the Bucks, not a fit no. with the Colts, definitely not the Patriots and really not the Titans either. Uh, yeah. But let's talk about the guy who's on the Lions, Jamal Williams. Uh, this season, he rushed for 17 touchdowns. Um, he broke the Lions' single-season touchdowns uh, – sorry, the Lions' single-season touchdowns record. But I think what's kind of crazier is Barry Sanders is second, third, and fourth on that list with 16, 14, and 13. And those three totals came in consecutive seasons. Unbelievable, dude. Yeah, I believe it was 89, 90, and 91. Um, and so in three seasons, he put up like 50 touchdowns. Barry Barry's one of those guys where I actually stumbled across his highlights for the first time, like really recently, actually. It was like probably one or two years ago when I first saw Barry Sanders play. No doubt. I used to think it was Emmett Smith, Grayson. No way. Uh, Emmett, Emmett Smith might have better yards. Just watch Barry Sanders play. <laughs> yeah, that's all it the takes. Most slippery motherfucker. And Jawal Williams <laughs> now has 17 uh, rushing touchdowns, which is a feat that Barry has never achieved before. That is some really, really elite company there. Yeah, few quarter or few running backs have um, achieved that. Like the, you know, I think it's probably good for like a top 15 all time. Rushing total in a season or rushing touchdown total in a season. That's wow. And of course, you could say that it was circumstantial. You know, the Lions obviously needed to use Jamal Williams, and he just found himself in a lot of situations like that. But 
I don't know. I, I prefer to not let that take it away from him. I mean, 17 rushing touchdowns is amazing. And coming from a cool player like Jamal Williams, it's just so sick to see. Yeah, he's a great personality. For sure. All right, so now I've got a few more odds here. Uh, the odds to make the number one overall pick in the draft came out. And surprisingly, the Bears are not the favorite. Well, not really surprisingly to me. I know they're going to trade that pick. Number one, the Panthers. I think that that one is – it surprised me when I saw it because that means that they're trading all the way up from nine, um, which means that they probably have to give up a little bit more – like a, a decent amount more um, than most other teams. The Colts make sense. The Texans surprises me. I don't see the Bears getting enough value out of the Texans trading from two to one. Uh, as much as they would out of the Panthers. And then the Raiders at plus 600, uh, as well as the Bears at plus 600. Then the Falcons at 11 to 1, the Buccaneers at 14 to 1, Commanders at 16 to 1, and Jets at 25 to 1. I don't see the Jets doing it. I don't see the Buccaneers either. I know that they could use a quarterback. I don't think they're going to trade up to one. And then the Commanders, it's possible. I don't think it'll happen. I think that the Panthers is a fantastic idea. I I like the Buccaneers here, actually. Um, if I'm the Buccaneers, I'm going to go aggressive. And you definitely there, – there's no way the Buccaneers don't have a player to give up for a first-round draft – or first overall pick. I, I know they're loaded. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like the Buccaneers would be, I think, the coolest one to see. And – it is a team that would need it, but I, I think I agree with you here, and the Panthers is the most likely, but I also like the Colts too. Yeah, I think the Colts would also just make sense. Um, the Panthers, I personally think the Panthers should trade up to three because it looks like it's very likely that the Cardinals are going to trade the third pick. So that means that the Panthers don't have to give up quite as much, at least future draft capital, maybe a little bit more of this year. But you still get most likely Anthony Richardson or CJ Stroud uh, if the Bears also trade number one. Dang, even even you're one of those mentioning Anthony Richardson now. Oh, uh, you obviously didn't listen to the last episode because I <laughs> I officially announced that I have bought in on the Anthony Richardson. Not that he's ready to play but the fact that he's probably going to be good. Uh, athletically, ridiculous. Yeah, it, uh, it, me and Brock talked about it on Wednesday. He has all of the things that you can't teach. He's got all that. Yep. Things that he doesn't have are the things that he just needs a good coaching staff to teach him. I would uh, – but see, that's the thing is reading an NFL defense, especially for a, a, you know, a rookie quarterback coming in, is is that one of the things you can teach? Yes, it is. Because I mean, Patrick Mahomes admitted that he couldn't read an NFL defense until his third year in the league. Uh yeah, but I'm I, he had it going anyway, though, for him, um, skill wise. I don't know. I NFL defenses, I, I feel like reading them, um, it might be one of the hardest things that a quarterback has to adjust to coming into the league. I, I don't know if you can really call it teachable per se. I think that there opinion. there is things about him though that like his his genuine weaknesses are things that are teachable. It's a lot of footwork problems. It's a lot of 
inaccuracies when rolling out. It's a lot of like technique things that can change. And like yeah. he throws too hard on checkdowns. He throws too hard on slant routes that are short. That's things that people in the past have worked on and got it right. That is true. So like those are the big things. Like right now, he can't um he doesn't do well throwing um like lead passes into zone coverage. That's okay. something that people work on. Let and, me let me ask you or go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. And then like the last thing is that um Oh now I'm blanking on it. I literally read the whole list of his weaknesses on NFL.com. You can just go ahead. I can't think of what I was gonna say. Okay. I was gonna ask so since you are one of the people that have switched over onto the uh, Anthony Richardson bandwagon, why towards the last the last week of college football, why hadn't I heard you talk about it? Because Florida was not good. Okay. That so was the main it's, reason. It's completely his combine and offseason that has, like, bumped him. Like, I mean, yes. like, what, like 15 spots? He was like a team. In mock drafts, I feel like. Team yeah, he was kind of floating between, like, the 8 and 9 where, like, the Falcons and Panthers are. um, All the way back to, like, yeah, 15, even, like, to 20. Uh, he was floating in that area. But I think people... Once a guy declares for the draft and, like, makes it official, people look into it a ton more. And I think yeah. that's what happened there. Um, it was also a lot more, you know, GMs, scouts, um, being reported as like, you know, showing interest in his abilities, things like that, yeah. highly rating his athleticism. That's what boosts the guy up. And now we see his name a lot more than we did prior. Whereas with like Will Levis, he's been talked about as like, uh, just straight up pro football prospect pro football quarterback prospect yeah. the whole time he was at Kentucky. And that's why we saw his name so much, but we saw it so early that when we saw his 2022 season, which really sucked, everybody was like, oh, this guy sucks. Yeah. I like it. I, I mean, I like that take. I'm not really rooting against him. I just don't know if I – I don't know if I'm buying into all the hype yet. I feel like for him to be hyped up as much as he is now – I don't know. I feel like a lot of NFL scouts are now like looking over a lot of things whenever it comes to him. I think that a lot of teams see him as like a project quarterback, like a guy that if it's a team that's up near the top, they've got a guy that they're willing to start for another season already. Let Anthony Richardson learn for a year, see how he's doing. But you know that he has the physical attributes to be successful it's just about working on his role as a quarterback. And that's going to lead me into my next thing that Geno Smith said, if we draft a quarterback, I'll compete with them and mentor them. I think that Anthony Richardson's oh landing spot is Seattle. At number five, it's a Dang. fantastic spot for him to go. I, I love that because here, here's the thing. That, if, if you make him a project quarterback and give him a quarterback like Geno to work with, especially Geno has already come out and said that he'll work with him, which a lot of sort of starting quarterbacks don't do, um, hint, hint Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger. But, wow, that, that would be an amazing situation for 
for him to go. He'd have Pete Carroll. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be sick. And that like like I said, that completely blows out any kind of doubt I have because all my doubts are can he start day one? Probably not. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think he can at all. Yeah. If he's a project quarterback, go into a head coach like Pete Carroll, a starting quarterback who will work with him, already on a young team, that would be very ideal there. Yeah. And like it's set up perfectly because um we talked about it on Wednesday a little bit, this same exact scenario we talked about, um, where Pete Carroll himself and Geno Smith both said that Geno's new contract is a gamble. It might be, it might look on the outside as three years, 105 million. It's not. It's really three years, 75 million. 42 million of that is guaranteed. I, I believe that's the number. I think it's 40 or 42 million of that is guaranteed. $30 million of that is incentives. Wow. And so it leaves the door open for them to be like, okay, Anthony Richardson's better than you now. See ya. Yeah. And you only take a small cap hit compared to giving a guy like half guaranteed all the rest of your money is just play the game. Yeah. But, you know, with, with the number five pick, though, and how Seattle's already set up, Personally, you know, and this is kind of, I, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, where I feel like if you're a team that's good now, your offseason needs to be more aggressive. Like, and of course, it's super risky. You know, it ends up being a lot of money and, you know, a lot of draft picks that may or may not work out. But I feel like with the, the Seahawks, their fifth pick could probably go to like their defense or something, because that's, that's a team that can win now. If you take Anthony Richard, Anthony Richardson that high, you know, I feel like you might be kind of selling yourself short for what you could do in the playoffs that coming season instead of having to, you know, like you're investing in a higher draft pick when it could have been a player that can play now is yeah. what I'm trying to say. I think the way I see it with the Seahawks, well, I think it's a perfect situation, is it the spot that they need to address mainly is the edge uh, on the defense. This draft is so deep with edge rushers that – they're surefire to get a guy that can start day one in the second round. Okay. And there you go. That's like my breakdown of it from watching the combine and seeing the guys that look to be the leaders for edge rushing positions. That yeah. it's a pretty deep draft and that the Seahawks could definitely address that need in the second round while also helping their future in the first round. Because that's the thing. First round picks are it's like the first round and the last three rounds are like future picks. Guys yeah. that you're gonna work on. Typically your first round guy is gonna be an impact player immediately, but they don't have to be. It's just a guy that you want to be a part of your franchise. Yeah, that is true. I mean, same thing happened with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and, and that was a Chiefs team that, you know, same argument, they could have drafted somewhere else and, you know, helped out their playoff chances. They were already a playoff team. Oh, yeah. they they. I'm pretty sure they made the playoffs that year with Alex Smith. Yeah, got dumped by the Steelers. Ha, <laughs> good on. All right, well, let's move on from this because we've spent like 15 minutes talking about Anthony Richardson. So <laughs> let's get into some Rodgers and Jets stuff. Mike Garofalo said that the Packers aren't asking for, in quotes, an offer they can't refuse from the Jets for Rodgers. 
Uh, they are kind of looking for fair compensation so they can move on and just you know give the keys to Jordan Love. Is that really what he said? Uh, yeah, that's what Mike Garofalo said. So, are the Packers saying that they don't want Aaron Rodgers here? Yeah, I think you might have missed that last weekend. Um, it's something that I certainly missed until uh, I was doing some research for Wednesday's episode. But yeah, the Packers seem to be just willing to let him go at this point. Interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because Brock has been saying this for weeks. He was like, if I was the Packers, I'd let him go. He causes too many problems. There's so much uncertainty with him. Following last year and all of the turmoil in last year's offseason and the season before that, why would I want to keep him here when, let's say he does play another year, how do I know this isn't going to happen again? Yeah. So I, I, get, I get where the Packers are at right now. They've got Jordan Love. He's sat there for three years, hasn't done anything, and he's just been working his ass off behind the scenes. Nobody's seen anything. The general manager, the owner, the coaches all love Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, causes all of those people so many problems every year. Why would they not be okay with just letting it go? I mean, that that's a great point. Um it, but I don't know. I, I guess it's like my, my childhood's talking. I don't I don't want him to leave the Packers. <laughs> I don't either. And I mean, even um you know, the Packers have not really had the best history with their last two quarterbacks, you know, as far as, like, when they get older. Because Favre literally joined the fucking Vikings <laughs> the but season first, after. First, he joined the revenge. Jets. Yeah, and first he joined the Jets. But, you know, he wanted to get revenge on the Packers. He said in many, many interviews that he wanted to play in their division. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Rodgers is in a different spot, though, with his relationship with the Packers because, I, like, he came out and said, like, I'm not doing anything until I talk to the Packers and we like figure something out. Obviously they figured something out and that's why the Jets entire front office and coaching staff flew on the owner's private jet to California a couple days ago, spent 11 hours with him and then left. 11 hours. Yeah. Interesting. So, so that's, dude, this is huge news that I'm hearing for the first time. So Aaron Rodgers is not a Packer next season, basically. Not- uh, yeah, it's it's highly likely. It's like almost certain wow. to me now that he is not, and it's highly likely that he will be a Jet. Because I, all of the news that I'm seeing is that the Jets have been the only team to really pounce on this opportunity so far. That is insane. Wow, Aaron Rodgers may not be a Packer next year. Yeah. You know, I kind of wonder it, because it's it felt like with when he was with Green Bay that his time in the NFL was kind of it, it was coming to an end. Yeah, I wonder now that he'll be you know with the Jets. I wonder if he might sign for like who knows like two or three years and be in the league a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the idea here. Is like if you stay in one place because that's kind of how we saw it with Brady when Brady was you know it was the end of his contract with the Patriots just won a Super Bowl, it was like, okay, yeah, it's over. And we all thought he'd retire. And then he signs with the Buccaneers. Then he stays for multiple years. Like, I think that's what we're seeing right now with Aaron Rodgers. Just not as many Super Bowls. Yeah, um, and probably (laughs) he won't be able to play for, you know, as long as Brady did. Rodgers just, you know, 
his age is definitely showing. I mean, shit, Grayson. His team was what four and eight last year. What what team in your life have you known Aaron Rodgers to be four and eight on? Uh, the last year, Mike McCarthy. They were that bad that year too. Yeah, they were that bad. Oh, was Aaron Rodgers healthy the whole time? Yep. Wow. Okay, so he's done it twice. Well, <laughs> I don't. I where was I even fucking going with that? You I don't know, it. no, but I, I agree with you. I understand where you're coming from. Aaron Rodgers is not a bad quarterback. He doesn't play yeah. for bad teams. The Packers were a bad team last year, and it was his fault, partially. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it, it for me, that interception to Aiden Hutchinson was was the single – that was the play where I was like, wow, it that really is – it's coming to an end. Aaron Rodgers throwing picks to D Lyman, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> when does that happen? And Yeah, yeah but, let alone a rookie. Exactly. In his division. Um, but, you know, kind of going back a little bit more on topic here, Jordan Love is not the guy. I, I'm putting my foot down here. Okay. He is not the guy in Green Bay because we've seen him play against the Chiefs last year. Of course, it was only one game. And shit, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It's against the fucking Chiefs. But he – I don't know. It would be cool to see Jordan Love play as like a day one starter, give him a couple weeks in a row. I just I, I'm doubting it. I, I don't believe okay, he's the man. Look, I want to ask you this right now. Let's if Jordan Love had the exact same season okay, sorry, if the Packers next season have the exact same year, eight and nine, almost make the playoffs, but they don't, with Jordan Love, is that a good season for Jordan Love? A hundred percent. Okay, because I think that's exactly what they could do. You just saw a bad Aaron Rodgers. If we see a good Jordan Love we have Aaron Jones, who has already kind of gambled with this new extension he's signed. A.J. Dillon has already gone on Twitter supporting Jordan Love throughout this, saying that he's not a guy, like, he commends Jordan Love for how he's handled this whole situation. It's a reflection of his character and reflection of what kind of player he is. He's got the owners and GM on his side because they were talking at the, the, dra- or at the combine about how Jordan Love is ready to be a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, and blah, blah, blah. Like, it seems like the organization is behind him, so they're going to do stuff to help him out. I could see them getting in the exact same position, possibly better next season with Jordan Love at quarterback. See, the thing is, though, I don't think a quarterback like Jordan Love can take them from 4-8 and eight and finish 8-9. and nine. No, but I do think that, in general, they could – Go eight and nine. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Fair. I, I like that take. All right. Well, okay. let's keep talking about Rodgers and this whole Jets situation. So, uh, Sash Gardner, Quinnen Williams, and even Robert Sala's brother uh, have all taken to Twitter to try and recruit Rodgers. Um, I think everybody kind of saw Sauce Gardner's tweet. I know you sent it to me. I had actually yep. talked about it on Wednesday's episode um, about, you know, I'm not going to pick you off in practice and I'll burn the cheese head. That's great. Quinn Williams um, said some stuff to him on Twitter, and then obviously Robert Sala's brother. But this just like continues to kind of be like, okay, yeah, he's going to the Jets. Yeah, and how about this? I, I wanted to add this to it. Even Joe Namath, bet, obviously best quarterback in Jets history. Uh, I think he's their only Super Bowl win. He currently has the number 12 in New York retired. He said that Aaron Rodgers can wear his retired number 12 with the Jets and is quoted saying, it'd be great to have him in New York. Yeah, and that's coming from Hollywood Joe Namath. Lo- Dude, Joe Namath, looking at pictures of him back in the day, he was I lo- fucking I loved, sick. like, the coats he, he wore. Sick. 
Yes. Dude had swag oh, before man. there was a word. Yeah, and he's out here, you know, joining Sauce, Qu- uh, Quinn Williams, and Robert Sala's brother and trying to get 12 to New York. I love it. I like yeah. to see it. And then uh, Tom Silverstein uh, on Twitter tweeted out an interesting uh, idea here. Uh, he said, what are the chances Rodgers would want left tackle David Bakhtiari to be a part of the Packers deal to the Jets? It's curious. His deal hasn't been reworked when all the others have been done for a while. It would shave $5 million off Green Bay's cap if he were traded before the 17th. So could Rodgers not only bring himself and you know his ability, his name to the New York Jets, could he bring an all-pro level left tackle like David Bakhtiari? Bro, this Jets team is looking scarier as this podcast goes on, Grayson. Yeah. David Bakhtiari, if he can play a full season, this dude might be the best left tackle in the league, honestly. Yeah. And he would be joining an offensive line that I, I don't know who their guys in the center are, but I know their right tackle is uh, Meki Betcon. He's a young guy who has a lot of potential and a lot of upside as well. Uh, I think he got hurt in preseason last year. This tackle duo with Rodgers at the helm, man. Oh, my God. Scary. Yeah, dude. Like, there's there's some interesting stuff going on with this deal. Um, let's continue to talk. So, in the wake of an extensive in-person meeting between Rodgers and the New York Jets, um, there's optimism that the Jets organization are on the brink of landing him. That's pretty obvious information. Uh, sources close to the situation told that to ESPN. Mike Greenberg went on the Pat McAfee show, and it, Mike he, he was on a burner to like absolute like going crazy on the Pat McAfee show. He said that Woody Johnson's doing whatever it takes to get Aaron Rodgers. Good. <laughs> like that that is what you want to hear. Could you even okay? I'm going to I'm going to throw this out there, right? I you may shoot me down immediately, that's okay, but I'm going to make kind of a I'm going to make a hot question. We'll, okay. we'll go that. Yeah. All right. If Aaron Rodgers goes to New York, right? They also have quarterbacks like Mike White and Zach Wilson. Do you think we should also be talking about the upside that Rodgers would would, uh, would bring to those young guys like so Zach Wilson and I, Mike White? I believe Mike White's a free agent. Okay. Um, I think that the Jets, if they pick up Rodgers, should just cut Zach Wilson. Personally, really? I think he absolutely sucks. Maybe you could trade him. Because he is on his rookie deal, so it's tough to cut him in that situation because he's getting paid quite a quite a lot of money. But um, getting rid of Zach Wilson is probably the best thing that the Jets organization could do outside of trading for Aaron Rodgers. He and yeah, he also you know did say that whole shit about the the defense and that one loss, uh, which probably I mean killed his relationship with all of his teammates. Um, but I think Zach Wilson would – I'm not ready to give up on him yet, I don't think. I am. And I, I know it's kind of a hot <laughs> take, but he was picked high. He looked good at BYU. I love his arm. I, I even thought going into that draft that Zach Wilson's throwing ability, just pure throwing, was better than Trevor Lawrence's. Probably a hot take there, but Zach Wilson is, just looked crazy. That's certainly but, a hot take. He has a good throwing uh, ability to the defense. Yeah, he sure does. But – 
I, I don't know. I think Zach Wilson would do great under Aaron Rodgers, but I think probably, you know, if we're going to talk about Zach Wilson for a little bit, I think that he would probably do better on another team at this point. But I don't know. That's just something I wanted to bring up, you know, with Aaron Rodgers joining that team. I feel like it's not. Yeah. Um, no, really I think I think the Aaron Rodgers. The problem is, is that everybody said, like when Jordan Love got drafted, everybody was like, Rodgers doesn't want to mentor this guy. I don't think that's what he wants to do with the Jets either. That's not what kind of player Rodgers is. He's not the kind of guy that is going to be like, no, dude, you should throw it like this. Rodgers going to be like, get the fuck out of my way. I'm the starting quarterback. Why are you on the field? Exactly. Like yeah. that, that's just how Rodgers is. It yeah. honestly is what makes Rodgers a more entertaining player is when he's a dickhead. Yeah, Dickhead Rogers is definitely that's that's a player you don't want to see. But I, I wanted to bring this up too. A lot of people don't know that Ben Roethlisberger, um, whenever Mason Rudolph was drafted, I, I think we took him in the third round out of Oklahoma State. He came out and said, like straight up draft night, he was like, "I don't see why we used a quarterback uh, in the or I don't see why we took a quarterback in the third round." And he said something like, "I hope you know I don't get paid to train him." Yeah, or something like He's that. Right. Which, it's fair, but it's also kind of like, come on, man. Like, you're getting older. and You know, I don't know. I, I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was interesting. Look, Big Ben wasn't wrong. Rodgers isn't wrong. It's not in their contract. they got to teach the guy behind them. Yeah. So, look, they're going to go out, do what they can to win. And I think that that's what both of them did very well at. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It. And, you know, it's, it isn't their job at all to have to do that. You know, they're, they're the starting quarterback. Their focus needs to be on winning their team games, winning their team's games. And, like, I I don't know. It's, just, it's something interesting I just wanted to bring up. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. what Mike Tannenbaum said, uh, current ESPN insider, also former GM of the New York Jets. Uh, he pitched Aaron Rodgers uh, in this manner. He said, you win in New York – there's nothing like it for your legacy. And I think that this is 100% correct. As much as Green Bay is a small market team, Aaron Rodgers brought national media attention to the Packers. The New yeah. York Jets are a bad team with national media attention. It's already mm-hmm. there waiting for him. And Rodgers has year after year been slammed by the national media for anything he does. If he can go to New York and win a Super Bowl or or just play fantastic, he's going to be a god. And it's going to help his his view in the media tenfold. A hundred percent. He would have won. If he won Super Bowl in New York, it'd be their first Super Bowl since like 1960? Sometime around then. Yeah. And on top of the fact, I mean, like, you cannot tell me that Odell Beckham Jr., of course he was, you know, he was trendy, he had the hair, he had the dances, he had the one-handed catch. You cannot tell me that him playing in New York with the Giants did not help out that kind of media attention. Odell, in my opinion, was one of the most famous NFL players of my lifetime growing up. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. And yeah, if Aaron Rodgers, like you just said, goes and wins a Super Bowl, not only for that organization, but he would be he would be a complete celebrity for that entire season. 
even if he joins New York, he would be a celebrity that entire season. Winning a Super Bowl? Oh, get out of town, dude. That'd be insane. Yeah. What a cool story that would be. It would be crazy. So a little bit more Jets, though. The Jets are releasing Braxton Berrios at the start of the league year next week. Uh, The two sides discussed a restructuring, but were unable to reach an agreement. Uh, This saves the Jets $5 million um, against the cap, but um, his cap hit was going to be $8.2 million, uh, supposedly. So I think this is just a move preparing for Rodgers' contract to hit the books. Yeah, I I think that's exactly what it is. And Braxton Berry is pretty solid, but I think it's also a matter of as soon as Aaron Rodgers is on the Jets, Alan Lazard is still on the market. Yep. So maybe we see Lazard come to New York. Maybe a different wide receiver wants to come. They need to save as much money as they can right now because, yeah, you can bring in Rodgers, but you also got to build around him. Yeah, and they already, you know, have a really, really, you know, good young team, and a lot of those guys are going to want contracts down the road. I've already kind of talked about it with the Bengals. They're in the same boat. You know, you're going to have to pay Garrett Wilson one day. Yeah, I'm sure Quinn Williams, you know, with how he's gotten better at his young age, I'm sure, you know, he'll want a contract, you know, sometime soon. It, it's just something that they're going to have to plan for. Sauce Gardner. Damn, forgot about oh, him. Dude. He's going to be the Gardner. highest paid corner of all time. Gotta be. Maybe even the highest paid defensive player of all time. Got whenever it. he gets signed. Yeah, it has to be. And, you know, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, he's going to want money. He can't say he doesn't deserve his money. So the Jets are going to have to be careful here. But for the time being, without having to worry about contracts, once they bring in Aaron, which from what we've talked about, I'm almost 100% certain it's going to happen. That Jets team is going to be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it is certainly going to be a fun one to watch. Let's talk about Mike Lombardi. What he said on the Pat McAfee show today as we're recording Thursday, uh, he gave us two good pieces of news here. So he said that the Packers are looking for a first-round pick and then possibly another pick if Aaron Rodgers plays next season. So it is likely that the Jets will send their first-round pick to the Packers which they currently don't have. But the Packers picking up another first-round pick in this draft is a huge deal because that kind of signifies rebuilding, in a sense. Yeah, um, and that's a team that, you know, they they ended up, you know, coming back on their season, making themselves 8-9 and nine, uh, before the season ended. So they already have, you know, solid players. I think a rebuild, um, you know, this early on, I think it could be great for their franchise. Yeah, I I agree. And then the other piece that Mike Lombardi dropped on us on the Pat McAfee show was that he said, I know that the Rams have called teams trying to move Matthew Stafford. Interesting. This seems kind of crazy to me. Is it Baker season, Grayson? It's certainly not Baker season. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know, man. Uh, this is weird because, look, the Rams, I, I think this is possibly an attempt at them trying to get into the first round would be trading Stafford. Because you get, you could probably get a first rounder out of Stafford, maybe. I, I, I really, I don't know, I can't gauge that very well because not a lot of starting quarterbacks at, you know, that have won a Super Bowl super recently get traded. That doesn't happen. 
But yeah, you know, Matthew Stafford is like a a, a top. Uh, he's a top tier quarterback in the league. I'll say that. I'm not going to say he's like top five because he's certainly not. But he won a Super Bowl in 2020 or no 2021. And uh, yep. last year he you know was just hurt all year. I, I don't think that gives the Rams a reason to trade him. I don't know. I'm actually going to disagree with you. I think it does. Um, Matthew Stafford has always been, you know, kind of consistently decent, you know, his entire career. He's played I'd say well he was good. Yeah, he, he's, he was good. In 2011, he threw 41 touchdowns with the Lions. He had 16 interceptions, but 41 touchdowns is, you know, that's pretty damn good. And he had 41 touchdowns in his Super Bowl year with the Rams. But in 2022, when he was healthy, he had 10, 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And, and I, I even can remember him being horrible last yes. season. And, you know, like you said, he even got hurt. I think the Rams, you know, I think the Rams do have a reason. Because that, that Super Bowl year was only one year, aside from 2011, where he also played really well. I, he's been consistent, but I don't, know, I don't know if he's been good. I think that's fair to say. I I agree with you in that stance where it's like he probably needs to show more. He's only been there for two seasons. He won yep. a Super Bowl already, and he got hurt. And, and he was dealing with an injury from the past season to start the year and then has a different injury half like early in the season. So, I, like, I can't knock him for that. I think they need to give him more time to like, like he shouldn't even have to prove himself. He won a Super Bowl. Yep. So I I think he deserves a little bit more time in LA. I think he definitely deserves a little bit more time, but I don't think it's, it's not out of the, out of the realm of, um, you know, being a, like a good idea to trade him. I think though, it, it, I kind of see this one 50, 50, uh, yeah, that'd be like my final take on it, 50-50. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Calvin Ridley. He said that with Trevor Lawrence, I'm giving Jacksonville 1,400 yards a season, period. Yeah, okay. <laughs> bold. That is bold. Bold. And by I, bold, I mean there's probably some pretty good odds on a sports book for it. <laughs> and Calvin Ridley has got a little bit of a gambling problem. <laughs> Uh, taking the over on his season total, right? Yep, totally. I'm riding. <laughs> I'm riding with Calvin Ridley on this one. <laughs> and you know he's a he's a player, so it would be smart to listen to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's really good. I, he hit on all those parlays he put down too. Ex- exactly. I it would actually be really interesting to know how successful he was. He's really bad. Career. No. Um. It. It. I think it got released. Uh. It was bad. Very bad. Okay. Well, damn. Um, because there was I'm a lot of like basketball picks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> well, you know, I'm giving Jacksonville 1,400 yards. That is a, like you said, a bold statement. But I'm with it. I'm not gonna lie. Look, they have a loaded. You know, they have a lot of wide receivers to spread the ball to, and Travis Etienne. I think he can offer some. You know, in the um the air game as well. But Calvin Ridley, a million percent, 
on a awesome if he had an awesome season, he could totally give Jacksonville fourteen hundred yards. I think the problem is the target share. Zay Jones has got to get the ball. Christian Kirk's got to get the ball. Yep. Tra- Travis Etienne's got to be you know he's got to run the ball a lot. You just extended uh, Jamichael Hasty. He's got to run the ball too. You can't give Calvin Ridley the reception numbers to put that up. That yeah, very true. And they have um their tight end. Is yeah, Evan Ingram. Ingram Evan Ingram. Yeah, Evan Ingram. He's in my top ten list. Hint, hint. Oh wow. But um, fourteen hundred yards is a lot, and you know, for his first season back, I don't know. We'll but just it would have be to really see. cool. All right, let's talk about this Jamar Chase stuff because it's interesting. Uh, so the mother of Jamar Chase's child, uh, who's accused him of domestic violence in the past, I do remember that happening says that she has videos that will end his career. Uh, she posted some text messages, I believe. I don't have them pulled up right now, but I will definitely pull them up. But how do you feel about stuff like this, Luke? Um, It's horrible, but this Bengals team is crumbling, and I love it. That's <laughs> uh, fair. But, yeah, domestic violence is um, trash, uh, complete trash. So it it's just... It's sucky, but also, you know, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts. Because you asked me, what do you think? I just told you. Okay. What do you think? Look, of course, this subject is horrible. I just, I don't understand the point of making the threats public. If you felt hurt by this, why are you going to the internet about it? You should be going to the authorities. If you think that he has, you know, done something, or you have proof that he's done something. Why the fuck are you tweeting about it, or posting it on your Instagram story, or whatever? Do something that actually means something. Do something that can actually, like, get him the, the you know, get you the justice that, like, you deserve from this situation. If he has treated you wrong, take the proper procedures and do something about it. Don't just post it on Instagram for, you know, random ass people to be like, oh, Jamar Chase is a bad guy or, oh, you're a liar. He's my favorite wide receiver. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you said it <laughs> because I will say now that I feel like making a threat on social media instead of going to the police. Yes, domestic violence is, like I just said, trash. It is not something to be, you know, fucked around with and, you know, joked about. But I think this was entirely a clout move. Yeah. Look, it, it like, if you're not willing to take legal action, you know, for, for whatever reason, don't make it a public thing. Because it just causes future issues on both sides. Like, people that are a Jamar Chase fan are going to see you in public. And, you know, there's chances that, you know, you get verbally abused by them. You know, whatever it be. You're bringing attention to yourself that is 100% not only unwarranted, but unneeded. And just, like, I understand that you want to make him look bad. I guess that's your MO. Yep. But if if you truly wanted to do the right thing in this case to kind of, um, you know, get back at him for the wrongs that he's committed against you, do it legally. Yep. 
I completely agree. It, and that's, you know, even whenever I read it, you know, my first thought was, wow, you know, that's pretty awful. Second thought was, this Bengals team is crumbling in front of my eyes, and it's hilarious. Of yep. course, it's sad that it all is, you know, through crime, but they're crumbling, and I love that as a Steelers fan. My third thought was, why did why is why are you on Instagram and not in the police station? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. All right, let's move on because I don't want to say something that offends people. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about his teammate. <laughs> oh, this situation. Oh, my this goodness. Okay, so Joe Mixon, um, his house, if you know, background information, we talked about a little bit on Wednesday. His house had crime scene tape around it. Uh, there was shots in the area. Uh, a kid was hospitalized. Uh, I believe he was shot in the leg. Um, I'm not 100% s- certain on that. So a little bit more information comes out. Uh, I believe it was this morning that Joe Mixon's trainer is the one that called 911 on Monday night from Mixon's home, uh, said he heard gunshots outside of the residence. Uh, Several kids were playing in the street when he says he saw one of them holding what looked like a fake weapon. Okay. We get another update that the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office is now naming two suspects involved in the shooting. Um, they, They won't release the names, but they have confirmed that neither of them is Joe Mixon. Oh, okay. Uh, That update came just a couple of hours ago. So, at first, this looked really bad. Because it's only been a month since um, uh, a partner of Joe Mixon's, I don't don't know what the relation was, uh, either girlfriend, former girlfriend, whatever it may be, uh, accused him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Accused him of, you know, brandishing a gun in her face whatever those charges got dropped like a week later. Um, but two incidents where the word gun and the word Joe Mixon are in the same headline does not look good. Unless you're talking about a shotgun play. Yeah, exactly. Um, or a pistol. Yes. Um, but you know, and of course (laughs) Joe Mixon is no stranger to the pistol formation. (laughs) He, He loves the pistol. Um, uh, you know, all jokes aside, though, of course, I love to see the Bengals going down like this, but it is reassuring to hear, you know, these charges being dropped and, you know, Joe Mixon not being one of the suspects. Because, like, listen, I want to beat the shit out of the Bengals. I don't want to see their whole team commit, you know, heinous crimes and, you know, lose their career that way. And, you know, it is nice to hear that he's not one of the suspects, but he, Joe Mixon, dude, he might just need to lock himself in his house because the, the gun is following him. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because Brock said that he thinks that Joe Mixon went on a darkness retreat like Rogers, but his went a different way. <laughs> now he's um, he's lost his fucking mind. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right, uh, let's talk about the Cowboys. They're trying to bring in or um, they're trying to bring back uh, Pro Bowler Tyron Smith uh, for his thirteenth season, which would include a reworked contract. Smith is due $13.6 million in the final year of his deal. Um, look, this is a big deal. The Cowboys need this 100%. Tyron Smith, uh, a, a fantastic player, obviously been there for 13 years, been a pro bowler eight times. This is an essential guy to your lineup. You can't lose him. You have yeah. to bring him back. 
And especially, you know, you can maybe even attribute to Dak's interceptions with, you know, some of his protection. They they absolutely need to, you know, preserve Dak and <laughs> give him everything he needs to succeed. And a lot of people probably think that they already have, which I think they have. But yeah. you can't, you know, if your quarterback's not playing well, you can't also be losing your eight-time Pro Bowler, you know, offensive lineman. So th- this is a pretty good one for the Cowboys. Especially, you know, I, I know he's kind of um, – I feel like he's been getting hurt. Um, in the past couple seasons, it's good that they're reworking a contract because I don't think he's probably necessarily worth what, you know, he used to be um, going into his 13th season, but he's an essential guy. He's been there for a while. That's a guy they need to have. Yep. Let's talk about the Chargers because at the beginning of the offseason, it was reported that it was likely they were going to have to cut Keenan Allen uh, to avoid cap hell, which they are still in 100%. But they've restructured Keenan Allen and Mike Williams' deals, so they'll be staying with the team and created $14 million in cap space through it. Uh, I'm not sure which restructurings it was. Most likely signing bonuses uh, that seem, or um, yeah, like upfront bonuses. That seems to be the trend with restructuring contracts or uh, put it into incentives. Either way, uh, a fantastic move for the Chargers. You don't want to lose either of these guys. It's interesting to me because I think it raises the question, you know, now that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are restructured, where they have to get rid of somebody because, as you said, they're still in cap hell. Now where is it going to come from if not one of those guys? I, I really don't know. Um, I think that this most likely it delays the extension of Justin Herbert, hmm. which puts them in probably a worse spot than if they would have cut Keenan Allen because, personally, I think Justin Herbert's a fantastic quarterback and will be in the future. But – if you trust that Justin Herbert wants to be there, you would keep the pieces there and figure out the contract later. Yeah. So it, it makes it's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense to me, but at the same time, lock up your guy because if if you falter, he's gone. Yeah, exactly. All right, this one, one hundred percent, caught me by surprise. The Panthers, Texans, and Raiders are expected to show interest in Jimmy Garoppolo. One team in this list surprised me the most. And I think it's pretty obvious. The Houston Texans. Why why does that surprise you? Oh, because of the draft. Yeah, they've got the second overall pick. Interesting. Like, Very interesting. Uh, I, and so this the Texans part was actually brought up um, earlier in the week. Me and Brock talked about it on Wednesday. I'd like to get your take on it about Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Texans. I see it as D'Amico Ryan's looking for job security. If he picks up Jimmy Garoppolo, he makes throws, he wins a couple of games, like he wins a decent amount of games, you're set. You have your job. As a young, as a young head coach, you're expendable. That's simply how it goes because you've got time to get back to it. So they don't feel as pressured to be like, oh, well, this guy's done stuff in the past. Like he can turn it around. You have no resume to back you up. So D'Amico Ryans is doing this for a guaranteed, you know, six, seven wins. That that's exactly what this move looks like to me. I I think so too, but also I don't know. (sighs) 
I don't know if the Texans are in a good enough spot to where if they were to draft a quarterback with, you know, their second pick, I don't know if they're in a good enough spot to have him, you know, be put in the best situation to succeed day one starter. And Jimmy Garoppolo, adding him, then drafting a quarterback with your second pick, I think that's probably the best thing that the Texans could do. I think that'll end up costing them a little bit too much money. That's the predicament I see them because they still have Davis Mills. He's still locked up right now. If you add Jimmy Garoppolo, then you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's most likely going to cost you a, a bit more than he probably should. Davis Mills, <laughs> luckily, is on a rookie contract, but he's still there. Uh, it's it's just a weird move to me, but it also makes sense, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I understand. I wonder. Um, I mean, how do you think? How do you think a rookie quarterback would do on the Texans right now? Day one starter. Uh, I don't know. If it's Bryce Young, I trust it. If it's CJ Stroud, I trust it, and they've got their pick of both, most likely. Um, yep. or you know, they kind of get one of the two. Ah, uh, man. I think they get like six wins. I think I think that's a little bit too much. Personally. I don't know. Like you have Brandon Cooks. That is true. You've got Brandon uh, Cooks. You've got, you know, uh, a pretty solid coaching staff that they've put together. Yeah. You got Damian wonder, Pierce. What do you think would happen if they did sign Jimmy Garoppolo? Who does that pick go to now for them? I, um, I personally I could still see them taking a quarterback, but I don't know. What do you think? I, don't know, I could see them just taking Will Anderson. He's an edge, right? Yeah, uh, outside yeah. linebacker, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, interesting. Yeah, it. I don't know, man. This this draft is weird. Like where the teams are at seem weird. I, I think there's going to be a shit ton of trades just in like the top fifteen. Yeah, that'd be entertaining. <laughs> There's nothing better than draft night trades, other than the fact that we're going to put together mock drafts and they're going to get absolutely screwed by trades. Dude, I, every <laughs> year I always I make my birthday party because it's right around draft time. I always like have all my friends over and we just watch the draft. And just, just to kind of talk about this for a second, my favorite draft moment is when the Steelers, on my birthday, gave me Najee Harris. That's, that was such that's a wonderful. good present. But... um. Yeah, draft night this year, it's just been such an entertaining offseason, man. I don't know if it's the media, like, you know, covering certain things more than others, or if it's literally just that loaded with content. But, like, for us podcasters, dude, this offseason has been so much fun. Yeah, Without NFL games, there is still, it is still so entertaining to talk about the NFL. And, yeah. um, you know, this being one of them, Jimmy Garoppolo on the Panthers, Texans, or Raiders, that's, that's a big-time move. I think the Raiders is the best destination for him. I, I actually agree. They have awesome weapons there. Yeah, and they just franchise tag uh, Jacobs, too. Exactly. So you have Josh Jacobs still. You have Devontae Adams. Like, there's – you have Darren Waller. Jimmy Garoppolo puts the ball right where it needs to be. That's all he does. Yep. I think I, the, I Raiders, the Raiders could be pretty I, good with it. Yeah, I, I know we've been on this topic a lot, a lot. We probably need to move on. But how do you do? You think Jimmy Garoppolo on the Raiders is better than Derek Carr? Yeah, 
that was a pretty quick answer. Yeah, I, I no, think I, I think I think that okay, Derek Carr has the ability to do more than Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think Derek Carr also has is a little bit more inconsistent and a little bit worse decision making than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I like that take. That's where I see it because like maybe Derek Carr would throw for more touchdowns, but he's going to throw like five or six more interceptions yeah. than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. And I think that would that would be kind of good for the Raiders. They with their talent, you know, and their skill positions, they're not going to need a guy that's got to, you know, show out. They just need someone to get it in their hands, and I think that's Garoppolo. Yeah. All right, let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins. He went on the Pat McAfee show so that he's been hearing a lot of trade talks uh, on that oh, subject. Sure. My understanding is if a trade did happen, he'd be flexible on the last two years of his contract rather than shoot for a top-of-the-market deal. Interesting. So right now, uh, I believe the leaders for DeAndre Hopkins are the Chiefs, Patriots, and Giants. Those are the most likely ones. Uh, it came out just a couple of days ago. The most likely trade package that they're looking for is only a second rounder and a player or conditional pick. So you could be saving a ton of money. You could be saving valuable draft capital by trading for one of the best wide receivers in the last 10 years. He has, he has made himself just so appealing Yeah, <laughs> with that. I mean, not only do his skills, you know, talk for himself. I'll argue that DeAndre Hopkins has one of the best catch radiuses I'll, I've ever seen. He catches yeah. everything. And this yeah. dude, like I talked about last podcast, never had a quarterback. And you're telling me, instead of, you know, signing him for like, you know, six years for millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, he can be flexible on the last two years of his contract. And you might only have to give up a second fucking round. Oh, my God. I, I, I want the Steelers to be talking to this dude right now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think, honestly, the Chiefs, I know we talked about last episode, would be cool. The Giants, though? Ooh. I don't know. That's I a little think, bit cooler, I think. I think the Giants would be fantastic. Yeah. For sure. That'd make Saquon stay. I would stay. Odell didn't make Saquon stay, but that was Odell just kind of wanted to. He wanted to leave anyway, but yeah, firm believer. <laughs> Dang, right. D hop in New York, man. Let's talk about this piece of shit, Daniel Snyder, Dan Snyder. So Dan Snyder, we've talked about this a couple of times. He's demanding to be indemnified against future legal liability and costs if he sells the team. He's demanding that of the owners. Um, a source from the owner's meeting said um, he predicted deliberations over the process could continue into the summer or even into the fall. So I'm sorry to the commander's fans and all fans of, um, you know, women's rights, um, proper banking. Yeah, literally anything, civil rights. Anybody who's a fan of human rights in general and also not committing bank fraud Sorry, but Dan Snyder is probably still going to be the owner of the Commanders next season. Yeah. Anybody with good morals, you're fucked here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it just sucks, man. Like, 
he just needs to get out. I, I want it sooner rather than later. <laughs> and then hearing that it's, you know, summer or even into the fall, I think, Grayson, if we're looking at fall, it I would argue it may be we may we may still be talking about Daniel Schneider next offseason. Yep. And that just fucking blows. Yeah, but good news that you most likely missed as well because I only found out about it from uh, a Twitter account that got recommended to me um, that tracks people's flights and sports. Oh, no. Jerry Jones, his private jet, and Jeff Bezos' private jet both landed in St. Martin um, back in mid-February. People believe that that was them trying to figure out a deal to put together because uh, I think we talked about it last week, maybe the week before, that the owners were getting together and they were going to choose Jerry Jones to kind of lead the way uh, in convincing Dan Snyder and finding a deal for Dan Snyder to sell the team. So maybe we're looking at Bezos. It was reported that Bezos was kind of rejected. I don't think that that's really the case because others were saying he wasn't. But for the time being, we can't assume he's going to sell the team because he's just a big pile of shit. Yeah, I just looking at the prep sheet here, I cannot wait for what you're about to say next. Because Yeah, uh, it is horrible. Okay, so this is regarding the commanders, of course, in FedEx Field and their facilities in general. One of the biggest issues was there was no changing table for babies on the lower level. One of the wives had asked them to put one in. Uh, Sunberg uh, was the person reporting this uh, and said, in quotes, uh, Tanya Snyder, the sister of Dan Snyder, uh, part of the ownership group, told this wife to her face, they are expensive. Tanya Snyder said they're about $150. You absolute fucking cunt of a family. <laughs> what is what is their net worth? $150? Is it worth your time to pick it off the ground if you fucking drop it, you dickheads? Come on! <laughs> Sell the team! <laughs> I'm so tired of this, man. Uh, Do you want to know Dan Snyder's net worth? Yeah. $4.9 billion. Yeah, $150. Whoa. All right. Do you know what he's asking for for this franchise to be bought? Uh, it was like seven. Yeah. Like seven bills? Dude's yeah. trying to double his net worth. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's just unbelievable. I, yeah. I think the worst thing I've heard about Daniel Schneider recently, it, this was uh, while the season was still going on. I remember Roger Goodell wanted to investigate him. And Daniel Snyder literally told him that if they, if the NFL starts an investigation on him, he will essentially blackmail Roger Goodell and release shit that would not, like, he wouldn't be commissioner anymore. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. It's, it's ridiculous. We literally just talked about how the owners are the weirdest group of people. Yep. This is just further proof. Yeah. I cannot stand Dan Schneider or his family. Yeah. And I mean, his wife's on board yeah. <laughs> by what it seems like. So, so, just, I, uh, so I think I can't remember if Tanya's the wife or the sister. Cause I know there's a sister that's part of the ownership group as well. Uh, but regardless, Tanya Snyder, you're a bitch too. Uh, she is the wife. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit of free agency stuff. Um, and then we can talk about, 
our tight ends list because we're already an hour and 20 into this episode and I didn't even realize. So, franchise tag kind of uh, slimmed down who was left for the free agent running back class, but still plenty of options here. Obviously, Miles Sanders kind of headlines this group, but David Montgomery, Jeff Wilson Jr., Devin Singletary, Damian Harris, Kareem Hunt, Jamal Williams, Raheem Mostert, Rashad Penny, Jarek McKinnon, and Alexander Madison are all free agents. So if you're looking for a running back and you didn't get Josh Jacobs or Saquon, <laughs> there's still plenty of options. I I didn't realize until I read this prep sheet that they, these were all the guys left. This is loaded. Even Alexander Madison, you know, he was the last guy that you put on this list, and I know you didn't really put it in, you know, any order, but Alexander Madison, when he would step in for Dalvin Cook, bro, if Dalvin Cook got injured, fantasy leagues went absolutely apeshit trying to pick up this guy, and he, it seemed like, always had a good game filling in for Dalvin Cook. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, he's just one that I wanted to highlight, because I think he's one of the more underrated options. But you also have Mr. 17 touchdowns better than Der- freaking Barry Sanders, Jamal Williams here. You have Kareem Hunt, Jarek McKinnon. I mean, this is, I mean, awesome. And you have a guy that played in the Super Bowl in Miles Sanders. Unbelievable. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon also played in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Good point. He won it. You're right. Yeah. He won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. He actually made a play that ensured that they would win the Super Bowl. Should have been a touchdown, man, but he did the smart thing. I get yeah. All right, let's talk. Uh, a couple teams are going to be losing some free agents. So the Eagles are probably going to lose Javon Hargrave, CJ Gardner Johnson, and James Bradbury in free agency. That's your starting defensive tackle, your, your best defensive tackle, uh, your best corner, and your best safety. How fucked yeah. is the Eagles' defense if they don't bring any of these guys back? I, I don't know. I, I would say Darius Slay is probably their best corner, but. C.J. Garner-Johnson, I, I remember for like a couple weeks uh, last season, he was like a pick machine. Sorry, um, I totally forgot that James Bradbury was not the number one corner, but yes, you're, oh, you're right. Good. Darius Slade James, is. James Bradbury is still solid, super yeah. solid. Uh, yeah, this blows for the Eagles, but what you going to do? <laughs> yeah, uh, resign them is what you're going to do, but they're not. <laughs> Yeah. And then the Bills are also expected to lose a little bit of defense. So Jordan Poyer's a free agent. It already looks like he's going to Miami. Um, and then Tremaine Edmonds, uh, their middle linebacker, is a free agent as well. This Bills team is already in a pretty bad position. Uh, the offense did not look as good as it should have last year. No. Now you lose the defensive side with pro- you know arguably two of the best, probably two of the top five players on that defense and Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds, you're going to be in a rough spot next year, especially if Aaron Rodgers is in your division. Oh, for sure. He's going to be torching up that secondary. But I kind of wonder if the Bills losing Jordan Poyer, of course, I don't know his status, but I I wonder if this means DeMar Hamlin will take over his free safety and then Micah Hyde healthy will move to the other safety spot. That is definitely an interesting idea. Um, DeMar is very good. Uh, obviously, yeah, he had an awesome season. Both of them have health concerns. The Bills' defense needs to be healthy if they have any chance next year, because the offense certainly will make changes. I believe that that is what's going to happen. Uh, not you know, uh, personnel-wise uh, between coaches and players. I more think you know, scheme-wise, uh, you know, kind of just their offensive approach needs to change, and I think they'll understand that and do that. 
But for the time being, you've got to bolster the defense if you're going to lose Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds. Interesting opportunity here is for the Bills to pick up C.J. Gardner-Johnson. That's that's a good point. And back to what you just said, I, I think the Bills could have always had a better running back. They're losing Devin Singletary. I think that they'll draft one, um, and I, I think that could help out their offense a lot. You know, Josh Allen, I think he was throwing too much. And when he was having a bad game, that, you know, that was kind of their offense still is they had to pass. They couldn't get him off of the ball. I think a better running back would be essential for Buffalo's offense. Yeah, I agree. They've got the um, the 27th pick, I believe, uh, in the draft. That's a good spot to pick up Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama uh, at running back. Um, it's probably too early to go for Devin A. Chain. You could wait out until the second round, possibly get him out of Texas yep. A&M. I think Bijan will be off the board. I've got him going to the Bucks at 15. Um, so I don't know. The bills have some, some, a lot of questions to answer in this off season. They do. Um, but they're still going to, you know, they're still going to be a playoff team. I feel like even with the players that they're losing and who knows who they might bring in. I just think that Tremaine Edmonds is a huge loss for them. I have always rated him so high. He's by far one of the best tackling middle linebackers in the league. He's super athletic. He can, been the past that's that's a massive blow yeah and obviously there's a ton of guys available on the free agent market that we could talk about um but let's talk about our top 10 tight ends this season because personally this list was hard for me to make especially when it came to like placement of certain guys but number 10 was the hardest for me because it felt like i could not find a guy that deserved to be on this list with everybody else Oddly enough. Yeah. Can I tell you, can I tell you a little secret about this list? Yeah. When you brought up Evan Ingram in the podcast, I actually fit him into my list while you were <laughs> because I totally forgot about this guy. And he actually ended up pretty high on my list. So I love um, it. I, I think you should start first. Let's give it to you. Okay. Number 10. Number 10. And and I'm not confident in this pick at all because I changed it at least five <laughs> times. At one point I had Jawan Johnson here. It got okay. to that point. I saw that he had seven touchdowns, and I was like, that's pretty good. I, I pivoted, okay? I went for Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz is my number 10. Love 57 it. receptions, 577 yards, five touchdowns. It, I don't know why. I have nothing else to back it up. Dalton Schultz is number 10. I like it. I went with uh, Tyler Higby at my number 10. 72 receptions. That's you know pretty high among this list. Uh, 620 yards, which is also pretty good, and three touchdowns. Um, The only notes that I have on him, I did not realize how good of a season he had. Whenever I thought of Rams, I just thought of, oh, that's that really shit team this year that won the Super Bowl last year. I could not, I mean, like, he has really solid tight end stats here, and I just never really heard about him. So he made my number 10. Yeah, he had a great season, and that's why he's my number nine, Tyler Higby. One of the few constants in this Rams offense this season with, you know, constant injuries and problems just throughout this lineup, Tyler Higby played every single game, and those numbers were fantastic. He got 108 targets, primarily because Cooper Cup was out so much uh, and was out at the end of the season. 72 receptions, it's not a fantastic rate there. Um, 72 receptions, 108 targets, not great, 
but 620 yards, the three touchdowns, it's going to happen. You didn't have a quarterback for a lot of the season. You were kind of forced to be the offense. You're not going to get a ton of touchdowns in that situation. But what he did this season was nothing short of great. He was fantastic. Um, My number nine was Dalton Schultz. (laughs) You and I, we flip-flop a lot. I feel like it's so cute. Anyway, (laughs) so 57 receptions. Look, not that great. 577 yards. Among my list, also really not that great. But he had five touchdowns. Nobody in my uh, my fifth pick to my number 10 had five touchdowns except for Dalton Schultz. I thought this guy was absolutely fantastic. If CeeDee Lamb was blanketed, Dak Prescott had such a consistent and solid tight end to throw to. I love Dalton Schultz so, so much, and I think he has a shit ton of potential. Yeah, it's a shame he doesn't have a better quarterback. Yeah, and throws to the other team. (laughs) All right, number eight. Got your boy, Pat Fryermuth. Ooh, too low. I I also (laughs) think it's too low, personally. He was was my fantasy tight end. That's why he's low. (laughs) So (laughs) it's the inconsistency that brings him down to me. Uh, that grouped with 98 targets for only 63 receptions. Uh, not a fantastic thing when you miss 35 of your uh, targets. Only two touchdowns. Once again, not what you want to see after such a great rookie year last year. And yep. that's kind of what brought him down to this point in the list. I still think he's a fantastic tight end. He wouldn't be in this top 10 if he wasn't a great tight end. I just needed to see more this season. And it could be because of the quarterback situation and, you know, kind of who was being targeted <clears throat> in those areas. But it just seemed like he wasn't getting a ton of targets in the red zone. And the Steelers' red zone percentages, as I've talked about before, not good. Yeah, not good at all. Um, so he was, what, your number nine, you said? Eight. Eight, okay. My number eight. Now, <laughs> kind of going off of what you just said, my Pat Fryermuth pick was probably way too high. And I know this guy, who I'm about to say is much higher on your list. My number eight is Dallas Goddard. Ooh. Yes. Uh, 55 receptions, 702 yards, and three touchdowns. Had a really great season. Um, kind of kind of a little bit of a breakout year for him, I'd say. Um, he is a great um compliment to AJ Brown and Devonta Smith in that receiving game. I mean, that is Dallas Goddard, AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, Grayson, that's just kind of unfair. <laughs> um that is a great receiving core and he made my number 8. All right. Well, let's get to number 7. Mine's Evan Ingram. This was a resurgence for Evan Ingram. Uh the first time he's broke 700 yards since his rookie year, 73 receptions, 766 yards, four touchdowns. He had one game, I think it was like 11 receptions, 140 yards, two touchdowns. Absolutely ridiculous showing for him. He's in a a great young offense. He's honestly one of the older guys on this offense, and he's only been in the league for like five years, six years. Like, Evan Ingram has finally come into himself, and it's a product of this great young offense that he's a part of. I absolutely love that take. My number seven, a guy, a guy who also had a resurgence in his own right, David Njoku. And I didn't even realize he had this good of a season, but he actually like 
finally broke out, um, you know, since his draft uh, to Cleveland, and I think it was 2017, 58 receptions, 628 yards, four touchdowns, which is pretty, pretty high among my list. Um, and I actually have a quote here from Bill Belichick. After Ozzie Newsom, probably the best tight end the Browns have ever had. Bill Belichick said that. Wow. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, that's. It's pretty good if Bill Belichick's, you know, saying that about you. But yeah, David Njoku, he just kind of, you know, finally broke out. I've always thought he had the talent, and I think he put, you know, he put on a show this season. So I like him at number seven. Yeah, I I think that's a fantastic pick there. My number six is David Njoku. Ah. Uh-huh. Look, honestly, he wasn't the guy we were hoping to see this year. Um, even once Deshaun was in. But still a a great season. I I feel like we had higher expectations for David Njoku because we've seen him as an athletic pass-catching tight end. 80 targets, 58 receptions, 628 yards. Fantastic stuff. I think it should have been better. I think with a full season of Deshaun Watson, it would have been. But once Deshaun came in for Jacoby Brissett, the stats didn't get any better. But the four touchdowns, pretty solid uh, at the tight end position this year. So... Look, I think he could do more. I think he should pass block a lot more. His pass blocking grades are fantastic. But he doesn't pass block enough, so I need him to do more offensively. I got you. I, I like that take, and it'll be really interesting to see like what Deshaun Watson with a full offseason with these guys, like what that can do, you know, and how that'll translate onto the field. But to prove the point, Grayson, Grayson, that our friendship is just just so precious, so cute. My number six is Evan Ingram. We flip-flopped again. This guy, it was really sad for me to watch him after his rookie year in New York kind of like go on a decline in New York. I, I want to say his rookie year was with Eli Manning. Do you yep. know if that's – okay, so it was. He looked great his rookie year. Evan Ingram looked like he could be a serious tight end. And then ever since Eli left, he just kind of was by far not the same player. And it's just so cool to see him find a new spot um, in Jacksonville. He had, you know, 73 receptions, 766 yards, and four touchdowns. He was fantastic fantastic this year. And it's just, like I said, really cool to see him find himself again. All right. Well, that brings us to number five. I've got Dallas Coder. Um, he's one of four tight ends that caught 60% of their contested targets, 55 receptions, 69 targets, fantastic conversion right there Four, 702 yards, three touchdowns. He was great. Um, he's just one of five tight ends that have at least a thousand receiving snaps to go 90 plus, uh, to get a 90 plus receiving grade over the past five seasons. Um, just Genuinely a top-tier tight end um, who honestly doesn't get enough targets because of the guys around him. I love that take. Um, and this is kind of where I'm going to sell myself. Uh, I, I think I'm selling Pat. I'm, I'm making Pat Fryermuth way too, way too much. Wait, did I we flip a- where them two were yes. in our list? Yes. That's you crazy. You had Muth at eight. I had Godare at eight. And then, yeah, that's that's insane. But anyway... Pat Fryermuth, he made my top five in this list. It's probably a little bit too much, but here's the deal. Obviously, I am that degenerate Steelers fan. I consume a lot of Steelers football. I saw Pat Fryermuth get better this year um, than his rookie year. He just looked better. Looked like he had been there for a minute or two, which he has now. 63 receptions, 
732 yards, only two touchdowns, but the Steelers sucked in the red zone. The Steelers really just didn't have a good offense all year long. I'm I'm kind of giving Pat Fryermuth the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if the fact he had a tough quarterback room should put him at number five, but I kind of did anyway. I, I think Pat Fryermuth, he was also great in clutch situations on tough third downs. He made my number five. All right. Brings me to number four. And I think you in particular are going to say that I'm underrating this guy. Okay. It's TJ Hawkinson. Oh, man. <laughs> You're totally right. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I've heard you talk about him throughout the season. Yeah. 1.66 yards per route run. Fantastic stuff. 129 targets, 86 receptions. That's what kills it for me personally. I, if you're a tight end, I need you to be a consistent guy when it comes to your receptions. You have to catch a ton of your passes. He just doesn't. Yeah. Like, ben Roethlisberger, he has said so many times on his podcast that his tight ends are the quarter, like they're the quarterback safety guys, not their check down running backs. Tight ends are. So I like how you you made that take there. Yeah, That's smart. So like, yeah, yeah. he might have had nine hundred and fourteen receiving yards and eighty six receptions. He missed 43 balls that were thrown to him. Yeah. So I, I can't put him as high as I probably could or should have, but I will say 20 contested catches, that's eight more than any other tight end. Dang. Hawking socks, really? Yep. Insane. That's a good stat. Um, My number four, and literally the flip of what you just told me, I know you love this guy, but in my opinion, just too inconsistent for me to put him at top three, it's George Kittle. Wrong. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) Um, 60 receptions, which is even less than Friar Muth, 765 yards, which is really decent, but here is the thing that I debated over for a long time. 11 fucking touchdowns for this man. He is tied for third in the league. A league among all wide receivers and tight ends. That's insane. Uh, that is an in, that ridiculous stat. But in my opinion, you know, he was too inconsistent. Like I said, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He had like what? I mean, like four fucking quarterbacks throw it. Five, if you want to count Christian McCaffrey. Uh, maybe four is selling him too short. Uh, I think I think he was just too inconsistent, so he made my number. Look, when I get to George Kittle, I will tell you why you sold him short. When I get to Hawkins socks, I'm going to tell you why you sold him short. <laughs> well, it's something that you haven't taken into account yet uh, for any tight end. Let's talk about Mark Andrews because this is where I will talk about a little bit. Mark Andrews is my number three. I just kind of gave it away. He received a PFF grade uh, for receiving 97.9 or sorry 79.4 and a run-blocking grade of 70.1. Only tight end to be over 70 in both. All right? Second amongst tight ends in yards per route run at 1.92. Tied for second in explosive plays with 28. That's a 15-plus yard reception. Fantastic stuff. He's also first among tight ends with over 250 run-blocking snaps and in that time, only gave up a 6.3% negative play rate. Boom. Okay. Blocking statistics for tight ends. That's what you're not taking into account. <laughs> you're right. I, I um, When I made this list, I, I was looking at like blocking grades and stuff like that, but I didn't make the list off of that. I think that's just what Mark Andrews brings. 
it's it's more than the fact that he's a consistent receiver. It's the fact that he's in an offense that ran the ball a shitload and the quarterback runs the ball and he's still able to thrive when the ball's not in his hands. Yeah, and uh, just, you know, my number three was also Mark Andrews. Um, 73 receptions, decent. 847 yards, that's above average on my list. That's actually, I think, third of as tight ends go in my list. Yeah, it's third. Uh, he also had five touchdowns, which is pretty decent, and he even missed some games. That's that's really all I have to say about Mark Andrews is that that is a really impressive, you know, like triple crown of stats right there. And he – I think he had like a ankle injury or something. I don't know. I know he got it on like Thursday night against Tampa or something like that, but – Mark Andrews was amazing, even with being hurt, and he is so fun to watch. Yep. All right, number two. I'm talking about Kittle here. Yeah, here we go. Look, he was uh, he was kind of off to a slow start in the season, uh, but when Brock Purdy came in, tight ends numbers or the the touchdown numbers went up. Seven of his eleven touchdowns this season came in the last four games of the season with Brock Purdy in. All right. The big thing here for me is the blocking. George Kittle, on top of being one of the best, okay, sorry, a top three receiving tight end in the league is also one of the top blocking tight ends in the league. It was there all season. He tied third among tight ends with a 10.9% positive run block rate and was second among tight ends with 431 run blocking snaps. Okay. This guy is fucking fantastic he is the second best tight end in the league and he was the second best tight end in the league last year oh man i i don't agree i i'm sorry i i would even argue that a healthy darren waller is better than george kittle no i'm sorry i i think you said he's top three receiving tight end i think he's top five darren Waller hawkinson is way better receiving than george kittle yeah he is Oh, wait, so then who who would be your top three receiving tight ends then? Well, obviously the number one on this list. Yeah. Uh, and then Hawkinson and Kittle. Not Mark Andrews. No, I think Mark Andrews is a better blocker than Kittle, but not as good of a receiver. I think that's a hot take. But, yeah, I've, I've always kind of been, you know, I've always been one to sell George Kittle, you know, kind of short. I, I think he's amazing. Um, I just don't think he's all that. He's definitely all that personality-wise, though. He's so fun. But, um, no, I, I think ever since, you know, his breakout year a couple of years ago, I don't think he's ever been as good. Can I give you another stat for him? Yeah, go ahead. Uh. He led tight ends in passer rating when targeted with 137.1. That's pretty good. Uh, he was tied for second with 28 explosive catches. Dang. Shit, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not number four. Huh? But I, I don't know. Mark Andrews, though. Mark Andrews is the real deal. And my number two is TJ Hawkinson. Grayson. There were only two tight ends in this league that received over a thousand yards, and one of them is, or not over, well, yeah, one of them received over a thousand yards, but only <laughs> two of them received over 900. Yes. And Hawkinson was one of them. The number one was the other, obviously. 914 yards. He had 86 receptions, which I want to uh, add that that is 15th among all wide receivers and tight ends. I thought that was pretty impressive. Six touchdowns. 
And he also got traded midseason. Of course, he got traded to a way better team and a way better passing offense than the Lions. But it's a new team, same division. And I think that would even, you know, suck getting traded to the same division and didn't show any signs of slowing down. And he even had that one game. I remember uh, we covered it. Forget who it was, but Hawkinson had like like a hundred and like thirty yards or something like that. I, I love TJ Hawkinson. He's one of the more fun receiving tight ends to watch, and he made my number two. My thing with so okay, the reason I have Hawkinson at four is because if he is gonna be pretty much entirely a receiving tight end, he's gotta do better because the number one guy which we can go ahead and talk about, is Travis Kelsey. He only had 20 more targets, put up 20 more receptions, and had 400 more receiving yards. He also had 12 touchdowns. If you want to be a receiving tight end, and if you want to be the second best receiving tight end, you better be a whole lot closer Travis Kelsey. Ah, I, if you're yeah, not if you're not going to block on a high level, and you want to be a top tight end, you've got to be closer to Kelsey in numbers, because the other two guys that we just talked about are also elite blockers. Yeah, that is true. But Hawkinson is he doesn't play with Patrick Mahomes. Correct. He plays with Kirk Cousins. Who's not that bad? And Kirk Cousins can obviously give you numbers, but I feel like um, I, I Kelsey and Mahomes is just a different. That's just a weird situation, man. It is because I Brady and Gronk weren't putting up Travis Kelsey numbers. At least I don't right. think that. Well, um, sometimes. But I I do I I do agree with you that maybe Hawkinson, you know, if he's just going to be receiving tight end, maybe his numbers do need to be a little bit better. But Travis Kelsey. Obviously, both of our number ones. He was third in receiving among all wide receivers and tight ends again with 110 receptions. That's stupid high for a tight end. He also was eighth in yards. He had 1,333 yards. Uh, Also, 12 touchdowns, which put him second among all receivers. And the only other note that I have here is I will go ahead and say that he is probably the best tight end of all time. Yeah. It's arguable, but I agree. We've said it before, before on this podcast that we both thought he's the best tight end of all time. But, you yeah. know, since we're doing the top ten, I'll just go ahead and say it. He's the best tight end of all time. Yeah. Look, let me give you a couple of things to compare Kelsey's stats to um, last year. So, Evan Ingram ranked third amongst tight ends with 88 catches. Kelsey had 92 catches that resulted in a first down or touchdown. What? Six tight ends recorded at least 800 receiving yards in 2022. Kelsey had 802 yards after the catch. Jesus Christ. 29 tight ends were targeted at least 50 times in 2022. Kelsey led the group with an average of 2.24 yards per route run. He was the only tight end to have over two yards per route run. Okay. Kelsey was one of seven tight ends to be targeted at least 20% of their receiving snaps. His 122 passer rating when targeted led that group by far, with Hawkinson coming in at 94.9 in second place. 
Damn. This guy is the fucking best. Undisputed champion. Unicorn tight end. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of unicorns, let's talk about some honorable mentions because it's really just one guy to me. Or actually two guys. Two guys who are hurt for most of the season. Unicorn being Kyle Pitts. I wish we could have gotten a full season of Kyle Pitts in his second year. Yeah, me he, too. he would have undoubtedly been on this list. He is, you know, when he plays well, uh, Kyle Pitts is one of the most entertaining tight ends. I remember watching some throws that Matt Ryan had to him uh, his rookie year. Absolutely insane. And it, it's just such a shame that, you know, I feel like he was underutilized and he was hurt this season. So, yeah. Just kind of, also, nice. Kyle Pitts, if you're listening. Uh, I was the big guy with the long curly hair standing next to you backstage at the Jid concert a couple weeks ago. Just Dude, when you, you know. sent me that Snapchat, I was like, There's, <laughs> what, what is he fucking talking about right now? Nope, he was wearing a Pittsburgh Pirates hat. I, oh, I, and wow. I know it was Kyle Pitts. Um, yeah, Kyle, I was the guy. I was wearing uh, Braves fitted. I believe it was the green one with the butterflies on it. Um, <laughs> he's not listening. <laughs> also, Darren Waller. You got to talk about Darren Waller. He's one of the best tight ends in the league. Injury hurt the season, but Darren Waller is another guy undoubtedly on this list every year if he's healthy. I uh, another one that you haven't said, and the one that I had was uh, Tyler Conklin. Uh, he was one of those kind of dogs on the Jets' yep. offense. He ended up having a a pretty decent year. Um. You know, for himself, very an outlier year. I'll say that he was he was very good last season compared to you know seasons previous. Yeah, and yeah. shout out Gerald Everett. Um, he kind of had to be in that receiving game alone for the Chargers with the injuries to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and everything over and over and over again. Um, great season for him. Let's see, Cole Komet uh, was yeah. very solid for a Bears offense that did not throw the ball very much. Uh, Dawson Knox should have played better. <laughs> and Foster Moreau was a decent fill-in for Darren Waller. Yeah. I agree. Cole Komet, actually, he ended up with seven touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, year. that's, that's why. Uh, so, yeah, so him and Jawan Johnson both had seven touchdowns. That's why. So they both spent a, a few minutes at number 10 on my list before I chose <laughs> Dalton Schultz. I like it. Nice. All right. That's going to do it for the list. Let's talk about some baseball, though. Oh, I love it. So glad we get to talk about baseball. World Baseball Classic. Actually, I'm pretty sure there's a game being played right now. For some reason, I'm not watching it. But let's talk about some final scores that happened uh, throughout these past couple days. Uh, Opening game of the World Baseball Classic. Netherlands beats Cuba 4-2. The biggest thing that I pulled out of it um, is what one of the commentators said about Cuba. I really didn't even know about this. So uh, Cuban players can't just, like, sign an MLB contract and move to America. Um, I couldn't tell you why. But the Cuban government has a deal with the NPB, the Nippon Professional Baseball, the Japanese League, um, to where their players can just go play in Japan. And there is so many players on the Cuban team that have so obviously been coached by Japanese coaches. So uh, the starting pitcher, I believe his name was Yariel Rodriguez, um, starting pitcher for Cuba. He's really a relief like setup man, 
he pitched like the first two innings because of the pitch count rules in the World Baseball Classic, but he has a very distinctly Japanese style pitching motion. And I think that is just so insane to see because like in the MLB, you know, everybody kind of looks the same, throws the same, but we often point out the fact like Ichiro had a very different swing. Shohei has a different swing. You Darvish pitches different. You don't see it from guys from Cuba or the Dominican Republic or anything like that. So I think it's just so interesting that there's a bunch of Cuban players that play with such a Japanese influence in their game. So as a non-baseball fan, how is it different? How can you tell? So with the swing, it's a lot easier. Um, Big leg kick, uh, often swing very level through the zone. Don't go for much exit or uh, sorry, launch angle. Um, and they swing through the ball and they're, especially for lefties like Otani and Ichiro, their swing propels them towards first base. Yeah. Um, with the pitchers, there's a very obvious pause at the top of their motion. So they bring their leg up, kind of bring their hands up as well, pause, and then they have a very distinct, like, open-armed look, and then they throw. Um, it's something that like somebody wouldn't just notice that. I did. <laughs> and yeah. the commentators <laughs> pointed it out as well, where I was like, this guy doesn't, you know, his wind-up is not like a normal you know, South American, you know, Hispanic baseball player. Um, very different. But I thought that was just super interesting. Okay. Um, real quick, actually, you said there's games on right now. I just looked it up. Uh, in the bottom of the six, we have uh, the Czech Republic and China. That one's four to one right now. Checks up. And in the bottom of the second is uh, Cuba and Panama. It's tied at two two. Nice. Do you yeah. do you know the story about the Czech team? No. And so the Czech Republic doesn't really make really create any professional baseball players. They don't have a league. Um, I don't think there's a single guy on that roster that's played in America. Uh, I don't think any of them have more than like five years of professional experience. Wow. And they qualified for the World Baseball Classic. And like they posted a TikTok of like all the guys saying like, this is my name. I play for the Czech Republic and I'm and they say their job. And like one of the guys is like a high school geography teacher. Unbelievable. And, like, one of the guys works in, like, sales. Like, one dude's, like, a sports agent. One dude works in, like, marketing. Like, these are just normal dudes. And right now they're they're winning a game right now in the World Baseball (laughs) Classic. That's insane. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. But let's talk. uh, Panama, is uh, they beat Chinese Taipei or Taiwan, whichever one you want to call it. We'll call it Chinese Taipei for the sake of that's how it's showed on the international level. They won 12 to 5. This game started at 6 a.m. I woke up at like 8.30, and I was like, oh, this game should probably be wrapping up. I'll tune in. It didn't end till 10. This game lasted over four hours. Was this the game that um, – there, there was a game where I heard that Panama, uh, their defenders were flashing some weather. I don't know if it was the Dutch game or the Chinese uh, Taipei game, but I, I don't know. I can't remember. I – believe it was the Dutch game, but in this Panama versus Chinese Taipei game, they were like, they were up, I think eight zero 
maybe 7-0. They were pushing the run rule. Uh, and all of a sudden, Chinese Taipei would put up a couple runs on the board, stop them from getting it. And then all of a sudden, like, it's, I believe it was like a 12-3 ball game, getting late. <laughs> and, um, like, this became a fantastic game that I thought was going to be a run rule by the time I started watching it. Wow. And then Australia narrowly beat Korea, uh, kind of surprising, uh, eight to seven. Um, fantastic stuff here. Uh, Australia is kind of sneakily pretty good at baseball. Um, there's always a few big leaguers from there. Obviously, the notable ones often being pitchers, uh, Peter Moylan, uh, currently Liam Hendricks, uh, a couple other guys as well. But yeah, I. Australia also has a professional league. It's not fantastic, but uh, a solid win here. And, and this game was quite interesting. So Australia opened up the scoring in the fourth inning. Uh, they took a 1-0 one, one lead uh, and then a 2-0 lead going uh, into the bottom of the fifth. Korea scores five runs uh, to answer them. Korea scores another in the sixth. They go up 4-2. Australia puts up three in the seventh, three in the eighth. All of a sudden, it is an 8-4 ball game. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Korea tries to come back. They put up three on 8-7. Australia holds them in the ninth. Australia gets the win 8-7. And, and this is extremely surprising to me, personally. Unbelievable game. And, oh, my God, I'm literally trying to look it up, but I can't figure it out. Um, the one comment I wanted to make about this game, and this is kind of like, this is a comment for you, Grayson. I could not believe that uh, how big the, I, I forget what the stadium's called, but it's like the Tokyo Dome or something yeah. like that. And it was where yeah. Australia played Korea. It this Is this not like the biggest fucking baseball stadium ever? It looks gigantic. So the the Tokyo Dome is one of the biggest. Um, okay, it holds. I, I want to say sixty five thousand. I'm looking it up. Um, it could have changed, but yeah, it's definitely one of the biggest in the world, and it's quite a spectacle. Yeah, it, it looks – I just remember, you know, when I was watching that game with uh, with Dad, I, I remember, you know, making a comment about the stadium, and it just, like it, – it truly looked like a sight to behold. I'm a nerd whenever it comes to stadiums, and it just was – it was cool to see on TV. Massive. Yeah, huge stadium, super devout fans. Um, You know, whether it is, you know, Korean or Australian fans, which, you know, it certainly could be. Tons of people in the stands at these games – it's it's awesome to see the international appeal of baseball because we don't get to see it all the time, especially, you know, if you just watch the MLB, you really only see the games played in America and Toronto. But um, I know like Barstool recently put out a video, uh, two of the guys, uh, White Sox Dave and uh, Wonton Don, went to the Dominican Republic for the Winter League World Series. It was fucking electric. And like, um, it's just crazy to see like how big baseball is everywhere else. Gotcha. Is there, is there like, you know, as someone who's played baseball, Grayson, and as someone who is, you know, followed it as religiously as you have, is there a lot of things that you envy about the atmospheres that 
um, of stadiums not in America, like um, the ones like in the Latin America and you know Asia. So I do envy like the the atmosphere in a sense. Uh, one thing I absolutely can't stand is horns, um, which are not uh, outlawed out there. You can bring them into stadiums. You can use them, and you won't be kicked out. That bothers the shit out of me because it comes over on the microphone of the game. Outside yeah. of that, I absolutely love like the just pure excitement that you see from the crowd. Because like if you go to a Braves game, actually, you know, the Braves are probably a bad example. They've got a pretty devout fan base, a loud fan base, chants, the chop, you know, everything like that. Let's say you go to an athletics game. There's probably, I don't know, eight thousand people in that stadium on a Tuesday night. Um, and it's just dead. But there's not a single game that I've seen played in Japan, in Korea, in the Dominican Republic, in, in, even in like the Venezuelan Winter Leagues, where it looks like anybody's bored. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like they've all got something to cheer for there. It yeah. makes it 10 times more enjoyable as a fan watching it on TV to see the crowd really be into it. Yeah. So I do envy that, but you know, I wouldn't trade what we have in the MLB for anything. I think that, you know, at some point, like there is, there's uh, something charming about Yankees fans booing their players. And yeah. there's something charming about like, Everybody booing somebody when they pick off. I love that. Yep. And I'm glad that whenever I pay hundreds of dollars to go watch a Braves game, I don't have to hear somebody with a horn in the audience for the entire game. Imagine so, just like right next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that would be the worst thing ever. Yeah. So, yeah, there's things I like and don't like uh, about the atmosphere, but overall, I'd say it's probably better than what we have here uh, when it comes down to, like, being a fan in the crowd. I like that take. Interesting. All right, let's keep moving on. So, Netherlands, uh, they beat Panama 3-1. Uh, a solid appearance here for the Netherlands, a team that is actually pretty good. Uh, all, just about all of their players come from Curacao. Um I know, like, like one of the sponsors on their jersey is Visit Curacao. That's how many of these players come from there. But, um, you know, Jerickson Profar, fantastic player. Um, I believe he's on the Padres. Uh, he went two for three in this game, run and an RBI and a walk. Uh, let's see, Xander Bogarts, of course, uh, you know, the multi-hundred million dollar man for the Padres now. Three for four in this one, two runs, one RBI. Fantastic showing from him. Uh, Sir Didi, two walks. I'll take it. Uh, Jonathan Scope didn't have a good one. But um, Andrelton Simmons, it's nice to see him playing. Uh, he went one for three in this one. Chadwick Tromp, uh, a, a minor league catcher for the Braves. He actually had a great game last season when he got brought up for the Braves late, uh, late in the year. Crazy. He went like three for five with like two home runs or something. Wow. But – yeah, it's so fun to see all these guys representing their country uh, and, you know, playing as a team. It's kind of similar to just watching the World Cup when, like, you get to see, like, rivals team up 
on you know a certain team, especially like Spain and England, like the ones where like people really see those rivalries play out in their respective domestic leagues. Seeing them play all together for a national team is fantastic. Uh, and for Panama, they don't have a ton of MLB talent uh, on this team, but uh, guys like Christian Bethencourt uh, are on this team. Um, a few other MLB guys, but not too much. But Panama is still a pretty good team, so I was kind of surprised to see how well the Netherlands played. I, I'm just still stuck on all those players that you mentioned that um, suit up for the Dutch. That is a pretty loaded, yeah. and they're missing team. Ozzy Albies. Damn. And, and also, also of, Netherlands, uh, Netherlands has a claim to uh, to Drew Jones. Uh, being the son of a Curacao, uh, Curacao and citizen himself, and Andrew Jones, um, if you wanted to play for them, he probably could. But yeah, they're missing a couple guys. Um, but yeah, they just about all of them are born in Curacao. Interesting. Very yep. cool. I believe the Netherlands won the first World Baseball Classic. I could be wrong. Maybe it was like an Olympic event. Maybe. Let's see. Interesting. I know. Um, I know Didi Gregorius's parents were both like professional baseball players, or in their like Dutch leagues and stuff. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna find all this information though. But let's move on. Japan uh, in Shohei Otani's international debut here. He beats China eight one. Um, and by say he beats China because he was the starting pitcher. He got the win on the mound, four innings pitched, one hit, no earned runs, no walks, five strikeouts, and only 49 pitches. That is fucking ridiculous. Wow, that's amazing. On top of it, he went two for four, one double, two RBIs, two walks. The guy is ridiculous. It's crazy. Interesting. I like it. And he 100% is the reason that the Tokyo Dome was absolutely packed to the brim. For this game, like Shohei Otani is truly an international icon. It just the you know the first thing that my mind went to Grayson when I when I was reading the prep sheet and I read um, these Otani stats is you, anything good that he does. I'm just gonna go back to thinking that the Angels are allowing him to be you know to talk to other teams, and it just I mean we're it's gonna be a billion man. It's gonna be a billion. <laughs> it, it might. It might just be. Let's also talk about Lars Nubar, uh, the son of Dutch and Japanese parents. Um, he went two for four, two runs, two walks. Fantastic game there. He also had a great sliding catch in center uh, while Otani was pitching. Lars Nubar is a solid player for the Cardinals, and when I saw his name on the Japanese roster, I was um, extremely surprised, but pleasantly surprised. He's a good guy, a good player. Deserves to be there. I know he's like taking over the fans out there. They love him. <laughs> <laughs> they they probably just think it's funny because like, oh, white American dude on the Japanese team. That's crazy. Um, but like, uh, he's doing like this thing. Uh, they call it the pepper the pepper grinder. Um, celebration. He's got the whole team doing it, and I guess it comes from like an old. I think it was like a Japanese Little League World Series team that used to do it, that Lars Newbar got it from. Um, it's hilarious, and he's like taking over 
the supporters of the Japanese team. I love it. And then let's see. Italy beat Cuba 6 to 3 in 10 innings. Italy actually has quite a few American players on their team as well. Um let's see. You've got Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals, uh David Fletcher of the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, I believe Dominic Fletcher is related to David Fletcher. Um he is believe a prospect for yes a prospect for the Diamondbacks uh, a few other guys uh Nicky Lopez uh on the Royals as well uh and Matt Harvey uh surprisingly uh is pitching for the Italian team a great win here 6-3 over Cuba who is you know historically a good team Cuba starts off 0-2 it's going to be tough for them to move out of the first round but Italy getting off to a hot start like it. All right. Let's talk about a couple of these uh, scrimmages here. So the USA team, they debut on Saturday. Uh, so they played a scrimmage against the Giants spring training squad, and they lost 5-1. to one. So I, I was going to ask you about this. Like, did, is this is this like an expected loss? No. Or should, the United States <laughs> should have won. The United States certainly should have won. Hmm. Uh, and... On top of it, the Dominican Republic, they scrimmaged the Braves, but it wasn't the full Braves squad. Uh, the Braves actually did a split squad, and they played the, I want to say the Blue Jays as well. Um, it was an interesting one. Uh, Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz went Placata in the game. Um, if you don't know what Placata is, that is like the Dominican slang for home run. Um I absolutely love using that word. That is such a cool word. Yeah. And then uh, Snicker, Brian Snicker, the manager of the Braves, after the game, um, was talking to Walt Weiss. And Walt Weiss, uh, one of the bench coaches, asked, like, do you have a lineup card? And Brian Snicker said, hell yeah, I'm keeping this thing. I'd like to have them sign it. A couple of them are going to go to the Hall of Fame. Because, <laughs> dude, this Dominican Republic lineup is ridiculous. So it's stupid. lead off. Julio Rodriguez, then Rafael Devers, uh, Manny Machado, Teoscar Hernandez, Robinson Cano. Uh, I believe Wander Franco came in in this game. Yep, Wander Franco came in in this game. Gary Sanchez, Francisco Mejia, Eloy Jimenez, Ketel Marte, Willie Adamas, Jan, Jan Segura, um, Jeremy Pena. Uh, so many guys. Uh, I think Yimi Garcia. Like- like- God. Who do you not play in this lineup? Yeah, it's Honestly. crazy. And like even the pitchers, Christian Javier, um, I believe Roan C. Contreras of the Pirates, um, Yimi Garcia, Camilo Doval. Like it, it's just ridiculous how many fantastic players are on this Dominican Republic team. Wow. And then let's see, Mexico versus United States game on Sunday at Chase Field is fully sold out. Uh, this is obviously one of the highly anticipated sporting events in North America. Uh, Mexico really doesn't have that great of a team. Um, they're not traditionally a big producer of baseball prospects. Obviously, Julio Urias is on that team. Uh, a couple of other guys as well, but yeah, I think United States is going to stomp them in, the, uh, in a sold-out crowd at Chase Field. Heck yeah. USA. 
And let me give you one spring training, just pure spring training thing. So Dylan Cease had a very, very rough outing. Um, I believe it was on Wednesday. He went 0.2 innings. He gave up seven hits, 11 earned runs, four walks, and gave up a grand slam. Damn, the kid from Milton getting shit on. Yeah, frequent disc golf player at Oregon Park. Um, fun fact. But, um, yeah, Dylan Cease was like a finalist for Cy Young, I believe, last year. Definitely one of the top guys ERA-wise last season and strikeouts. This shouldn't happen. I know it's spring training. You got to get the jitters out. Point two innings pitched and 11 earned runs is absolutely abysmal. Yeah, that's um, you know, getting the jitters out for sure. But you know, if you're Dylan Cease, the jitters shouldn't be this bad. No, <laughs> you shouldn't be jittering this much. <laughs> all right, let's wrap up baseball with this real quick. So I was just talking about it. Shohei Otani's influence uh, internationally is ridiculous. It's in full swing right now while he's playing in Japan. Just in 2023, he's gained 800,000 followers on social media, roughly 400,000 of those have come in the past week. So, you know, teams won't just be buying uh, or, you know, bidding for a player that's going to cost them half a billion dollars to a billion dollars this offseason. They're getting a guy with international influence and a guy that brings in much more than pitching and hitting. He brings in people. He brings in eyes. He brings in youth. The youth is the biggest part of this. Every little kid loves Shohei Otani. That's amazing. That's a lot of damn followers for one week. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we gained 400,000 followers in a week? (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. Otani needs to, he needs to sponsor us like in Japan. He needs to get our, our Japanese viewers. Actually, I'd like his translator to translate our shows into Japanese and then put it out. That would be so sick. His translator is cool. I like that guy. All right, let's talk about soccer. We've talked about everything else long enough. Champions League round two or round of 16, leg two matches. Uh, This is the first week of them. Starts off Benfica. Absolutely thrashed Club Bruges. It was bad. 5-1. 5-1. Yeah. They win it 5-1 on aggregate. 7-1. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 7-1 on aggregate. You're good. I just really wanted to make sure that was heard because Club Brew sadly just did not come to play. And we were talking about him in pre-recording, but um, Ramos, the Portuguese striker, yes, the same guy that benched uh, that uh, Ronaldo was benched for in the World Cup, he has been absolutely on Fire. And I know I'm going to let you talk about his stats from the Club Bruges game. I just wanted to talk about his stats in all competitions for Benfica. 34 games. He has scored 23 goals and score and had nine assists. Absolutely unbelievable. And I'm going to go ahead and throw in kind of a hot take here. Benfica have sold Enzo Fernandez, Jao Felix, and oh my God, I'm blanking on the other guy. They have had three players uh, be sold for a hundred million euros. Two, wait, no, two of them play for Chelsea. Yeah, who's the yeah. other one? I'm trying to think. Oh I can't God. think of it either. I feel like he's the most recent one. 
Anyway, they've had like three players go for 100 million euros in like four seasons. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make my take here. I think he's the next one, and I think he'll go to PSG. And we'll talk about Ooh. why whenever we talk about PSG and the UCL. But, yeah, Gonzalo Ramos, absolutely on fire all season long, and he murdered Club Bruges. Yeah, so uh, murder is an understatement. This was like, oh, this was a, a genocide of 11 men on the other side of the field. <laughs> yes. Okay. Footbob. Uh, is the website I'm using for this. They give him a rating of 9.3 in this match. Uh, he played all 90 minutes, two goals, one assist, five shots. All right, he was eight for 11 on accurate passes, created a chance, obviously resulting in an assist. Shot accuracy, three for five shots on target, 28 touches, three for three on dribbles, one for two on accurate crosses, only got dispossessed one time in this match, also won five of his six ground duels. He played just about as perfect of a game as you could possibly do. Yeah, and in the soccer world, uh, we call that completely unplayable, and that's what Ramos was against Club Bruges. They had no chance, no chance of winning with this guy on fire like that. <laughs> yeah, Benfica advances to the next round of the Champions League. Um, you know, it, it's not really surprising since they got matched up against Club Bruges, but I can't wait to see how this team plays against the top teams in Europe. It, yeah, and it's just tough because I, I didn't want to shout out Club Bruges for one thing, is they actually ended this 5-1 game with 13 shots. It's not like they it's not like they got murdered. The chances were there, they just didn't take it. And, you know, it kind of, to me, sounds like they deserve to lose. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't help that, you know, just to start off the game, <clears throat> Benfica uh, scored a goal. It got overturned by VAR in the second minute. Um, mm. So that's tough. But... Yeah, it was it, it was brutal for Club Bruges. Um, let's talk about Chelsea. They actually won, and they scored goals. They beat Borussia Dortmund two 0 at Stamford Bridge to win on aggregate two to one. Look at your boys, Luke. Look at look at how good they are. Yeah, it is finally coming to you know fruition. The blueprint, but as you pointed out pre-recording. None of the new players are who's doing the scoring. No, not Jao Felix. Um, shit, I think there was another. Not Mikhail Mudrick. It hadn't been Enzo either. Enzo's been contributing in other ways, but Jao Felix and Mudrick are kind of, you know, just just there. And Mudrick in this game didn't even get to play. He's been dropped from the starting lineup. But Chelsea's attack, look, I, I've always said it on the podcast. It's good. It just hasn't been scoring goals. And Chelsea now are finally getting the goals. And you know, we were able to come back against Dortmund. Shit, we even dominated them in the first leg, even though they won 1-0. Chelsea completely dominated that game in Germany. And I, I'm just glad that we ended up winning. It, it was um, definitely deserved at the end of the game. We dominated this one, too. Yeah, fantastic stuff out of Chelsea. Like, Kai Havertz, fantastic game. Uh, got the one goal, uh, five total shots. Uh, he was 27 for 31 on accurate passes. Created two chances. 49 touches, three for three on dribbles, uh, seven passes into the final third. So he wasn't just um, scoring. He was also creating chances, and that's a big part of Kai Havert's game. Yeah, is, you know, the goals and the chances. But I wanted to bring this thing up. Is uh, I, I felt really bad for Dortmund even as a Chelsea fan. They gave up. Or, well, actually, I, I guess you can't really say gave up. But there were two VARs, Grayson. In three minutes in this game, that both went against Dortmund. The first one, 
you had a clear handball that was not called originally. It was a, a cross from Chilwell into the box. And the Dortmund's player, his hand was nowhere near his body. It was away from his body. And it blocked the cross. That uh, led to a VAR, which gave Chelsea the penalty. Kai Havertz steps up to take the penalty. He hits the post, but there's another VAR. And sure as shit, Dortmund's players in, entered uh, the box too quickly on Kai Havertz's penalty, which gives him a re-kick, which then Kai Havertz scores. Wow. Unbelievable luck. Unbelievable luck for Dortmund. I felt bad for them there, but hey, man. Sucks to suck. <laughs> All right, I've got so one. Winning. I've got one question for you before we move on. Let's do it. Do you think that making it into the quarterfinals of the Champions League helps Graham Potter's job security? A million percent. Okay. I I, I think he was so close on the brink of exit. If we would have lost against Leeds, which was the game, uh, the Premier League game from last weekend. I think I think he may get he maybe gets fired. He definitely would have gotten fired if he didn't get a good uh, if he didn't get three points against Leeds and got knocked out of the Champions League. He's totally gone. All right, the team saved him. The team saved him. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Bayern versus PSG. Bayern takes the win two nil. Uh, they win it three nil on aggregate. And look, this is crazy. To me, uh, like, it, okay, look, it's not outlandish, but when you look at the lineups, it's like, how does PSG not win? They have Messi and Mbappe, and fucking every good player under the sun is on this team. Yep. And they can't win. They couldn't even score a goal in two matches against Bayern. Unbelievable. And the first leg, Neymar was, you know, not injured. <laughs> and Mbappe came in as, uh, as a sub in the first leg, but it's just horrible. Yeah, in uh, let's just go ahead and talk about what Jamie Carragher had to say after the match. He said, "It's not a team; it's just a mess. Uh, it just shows it just shows you how important it is to be a team." And he ended off the statement by saying that Kylian Mbappe has to leave their club. And were you going to say something? Because I was going to follow this up with something. No, please. Okay. So I have always said this about PSG. They're loaded with talent. They're always, you know, fun to pay attention to during transfer deadline windows of just seeing who they're going to sign. But even with teams previous, they've had guys like Zlatan and Cavani and Lavezzi and Lucas Mora and crazy defense with Kimbempe and Marquinhos, you know, younger Marquinhos and, you know, Thiago Silva when he first signed. They have never been able to win games and been able to get trophies outside of League 1, which they're obviously going to dominate. But with Jamie Carragher saying that Kylian Mbappe has to leave, with Chelsea owner secretly meeting with PSG in talks of Neymar, and Messi, I think, is on his last year of his contract at PSG, and it's looking pretty clear that he might not re-sign with them. Gonzalo Ramos is the signing for PSG, and he'll be over 100 million euros. I, I'm almost certain it'll happen. I think that's a fantastic thing right there. And one of the big things here for me is the way that he said, like, it shows how important it is to be a team. And just look at this matchup because PSG, all right, zero players in this starting lineup came up through their youth academy. Because yep. honestly, they don't really have one. Uh, obviously, Donnarumma signed from, uh, what was he at Milan? 
AC Milan's youth academy. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, Danilo Pereira from Portuguese league. Vitinha from the Portuguese league. Sergio Ramos, uh, a veteran from Real Madrid. Marquinhos. Um, where did Marquinhos play before PSG? I'm blanking. Uh, I don't know. It must have been in Brazil, I think. Yeah, so um, he, he came over a little bit younger, but still. Uh, Nuno Mendes uh, got signed out of uh, Portugal. Uh, Verratti, uh, I believe he got signed out of Italy. Hakimi got signed out of Italy. Messi uh, goes to speak for itself. Mbappe taken from uh, Monaco. Like, none of these guys come up through their system. You look at Bayern, Musiala, Kimmich, Goretzka. I believe Thomas Muller has been with Bayern his whole career. Like, they have built something here. Of course, they have international signings here as well. But it creates a team when you have guys that grew up in this organization and, you know, in this system. And PSG is not a system. It's just simply a place. They're, they're essentially a bank. Literally, yeah. That's a perfect way to describe them. So, look, I, I totally agree with your thought right there that Gonzalo Ramos is the signing for PSG. I just wish that it's not where he'd go. <laughs> I wish he'd go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I was doing research, uh, we'll talk about the player uh, that came from PSG's academy, but let, we'll just, you know, not surprise, no surprise to anybody, he doesn't play for PSG anymore, but we're going to talk about him in a second. But um, kind of to just go back to this game, um. Musiala, the the young German, the teenager, looked unstoppable at some points. This kid is ridiculous for Bayern Munich. And a team like Bayern Munich, they will always beat a team like PSG, in my opinion. We saw it in the Champions League final not too long ago. Bayern have always, and it just seems like my, my entire life, they have always been a team full of talent, yes, but they've always been a team. They've always played like one. And Bayern are one of the few teams that I can respect. Of course, like everybody hates the teams that kind of dominate, you know, like um, their leagues, I feel like, or at least I do. Bayern is the one team that I like because they dominate the Bundesliga the right way. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to put it. They also, you know, throughout their years, they've put in a ton of money into uh, international signings, even big domestic signings. Um uh, oftentimes stealing from uh, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they do it the right way. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, um, and just another thing I wanted to highlight, something you've always brought it up, a team that in this, you know, in these two legs, this PSG team has Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, and they never scored against Bayern in two games. Even at home in, in France, they couldn't they couldn't get a win at the Parc de Prince or a, a a goal. I just I don't know. That's that's I think it says a lot about Bayern, but it also says that you know PSG are a team that no matter the players they can put on, you know, no matter their eleven that they put to start on in a soccer game, they're they always will never be a team. And I think with that aspect, you could lose to anybody on any day. Nothing is sure. Yeah. PSG. All right. Let's talk Spurs versus AC right. Milan. <clears throat> they drew nil nil. Milan advances on aggregate one nil. Um, I feel like the big story here is what comes from it afterwards. But um, 
Look, Harry Kane just needs to play better, and so does Swangman Son. That's what this boils down to right now with Spurs. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, you know, we have the quote here, which uh, you're going to read it out in a second, but Richarlison, you know, if, if you're Tottenham and you're in fourth in the Premier League and you're going into a second leg against a Milan team that just, just they're a good unit. I mean, completely shit on Tottenham. On It seemed like every 50-50 ball in the first leg. Why not play Richarlison? Why not shake things up to try to get a goal? Because instead, you're kind of just settling with your typical starting lineup that hasn't been working too well. Uh, listen, I'm all for, you know, your big players, right? They got to get their money, and they also got to get their playing time. But if the results aren't coming, and you have a loaded, um, you know, if you have Rich Charlison on your bench, we saw his bicycle kick at the World Cup. Play this man. We saw yeah. what he can do at Everton. Play this man. They brought him in in the 70th minute um, to per, to replace Emerson um, on the right mid position. Put him at fucking striker. Harry Kane genuinely can't do shit. No. Especially right now. Um, and... Antonio Conte's job is on the ropes already. Why is he putting himself in this position? Especially, like, okay, I get it. It's international competition. If it's international competition, you should be resting your stars. If that's not your, if that's not your focus, if you're focused on the prem, rest Harry Kane in the Champions League. Let Richarlison do something. But yeah. don't sit him both internationally and domestically. Yeah, you, you can't have a player like that sitting, you know, on the bench. And I, I want to say, you know, back to what you said about Conte's job on the ropes is with um, Milan being knocked out and with Tottenham probably not going to be able to win the Premier League, uh, Tottenham then, you know, again goes, I think their trophy drought is now like six years or something like that. It's even longer. And it just kind of like... It just boils down to if Richarlison is on the bench and your team isn't scoring, why wouldn't you play him? I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't get it. I mean, Leicester did it with Jamie Vardy. He's their established, you know, king of their entire team. Won the Premier League with them. They benched him for Ian Acho. They had the balls to do it. Why can't yep. you do it? Yeah. So. Look, Tottenham has gotten a new stadium in the time since they've won a new trophy. And... Uh, I don't know what's going on there, man. It's it's bad. Antonio Conte's got to be fired by the end of this season unless they somehow win the Prem. Yeah, I completely because agree. It's performances like these that are telling of a manager. Um, we yep. just talked about Graham Potter and how these this game realistically saves his job, and Antonio Conte needed. A win here. Uh, literally just a goal here would have yeah. made it look better. Mm -hmm. Because at least you would have gone into extra time. Yep. But it, it makes it seem like you weren't even fighting for it. Uh, Christian Romero got sent off in the 77th for his second red card of the match. You had three... Okay, well, one of the yellow cards was on Antonio Conte. But three yellow cards in the first 21 minutes of the match. In total, you had five across the whole match. And 
it comes down to a discipline problem at that point. If you have no discipline in the sport of soccer, you will get nowhere. And that is exactly where Tottenham is going. Yeah, and to make them look even worse, Grayson, you know how much Milan's defense cost? Probably nothing. It's 50 million euros. And I want to say off the top of my head, that might that might be more than what uh, Richarlison's transfer cost. Um, and it's just, it's poor. You have Harry Kane and Youngman's son, and they can't score in two games versus a 50 million euro defense. And of course, I mean, you know, that may mean nothing, you know, values, but still. AC Milan are a team right now, not with really big names. They don't have a lot of big names. They're just a great unit. Yeah. And Tottenham, you know, they they needed to do much better. And I, I agree with you. I think Conte, with, with this Champions League loss, you know, them getting knocked out, he, he needs to be, you know, he needs to be sacked for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Premier League. Um, tons of stuff going on in the Prem. You know, the top really six is just shifting all over the place week by week. We'll start it out with Bournemouth versus Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool coming off of their historic thrashing of Man United 7-0 last week. Oh, man. Bournemouth is facing relegation. Um, it's pretty easy to see where this one's going, but what do you have to say about that 7-0 win? That 7-0 win, absolutely historic. Um, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes, you know, watching the highlights and just hearing about it on my Instagram feed. Uh, you, you would have never thought it, Grayson. You literally would have never thought it because Liverpool <clears throat> have been struggling up until probably like the last like three weeks, I would say, because they had the Merseyside Derby win and that kind of kicked them back off. Then they're losing 5-2 to Real Madrid while over here, Manchester United's camp, you have Rashford, who's the best player in the world right now. They're scoring every single game. They're winning every single game. They just knocked Barcelona out of the Europa League. They just won the Carabao Cup against Newcastle. And we even said it coming on to last year, um, last year, last week's podcast. We saw no way that Manchester United could drop points to Liverpool with the incredible form that they were in. Liverpool went 7 nothing. Unbelievable. And yeah. Liverpool's scary because it looks like they have their team figured out. I've been shitting on Nunez for or Nunez this entire season. He ain't it for Liverpool, but Liverpool have been playing him at left wing, and that shit's been working. Gakpo, he doesn't really give a fuck. He's like water. He can play anywhere on that top three, it looks like, because he got moved to striker, and he was making Manchester United defenders look like like potatoes out there. It un unbelievable unbelievable that out of any Liverpool team in history, this is the one that hands arguably the greatest uh, team, a club in his, Premier League history, their worst loss in Premier League history. 7 nothing over United. Unbelievable game, dude. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. they. It was an absolutely ridiculous result. Well, let's talk about Bournemouth here because they're right now squared away. Last place. 20th. They're tied in points with Southampton. <clears throat> Both of them looking like they're probably going to lose this weekend. Uh, Southampton playing Man U. Bournemouth obviously facing Liverpool. And look, the stats don't help them. Uh, they're ranked 13th in goals scored per match at one goal a game. They've conceded the most penalties this season with six. And they haven't won a match at home in five home matches. Bournemouth's going to lose. Liverpool, 
They're ranked number three in goals scored per match at 1.9. That's almost two goals per game. Uh, They haven't lost to Bournemouth in their last eight meetings. And Liverpool is the third best team at home this season. I'm thinking it's going to be 2-0. I don't want to run it up too much just because maybe they exhausted a lot of their goals last weekend. So 2-0 Liverpool. I like it. Um, Look, Bournemouth is coming off of a 2-3 defeat to Arsenal. Um, They only lost by one goal. And, I mean, shit, they scored twice. Um, They had four shots to Arsenal's 31. 31 shots in a soccer game, that's that's stupid high. <laughs> but they scored twice on four shots, uh, despite their 20% possession. I think Bournemouth, you know, they've proven they can score against Arsenal. I think it'll be a 3-1 Liverpool win, but Bournemouth will score for sure. All right. Let's talk Leicester versus Chelsea. You guys are in an interesting position here. Uh, you're in 10th right now. Um 34 points, tied on points with Aston Villa, ahead on goal differential by six. You're four points behind Brentford, so you know, you're know you kind of locked in here at 10 if you get the win. The problem is, can you guys perform in the Prem? You're obviously coming off the win against Leeds. The biggest thing is that you're coming off of uh, an advancement in the Champions League and a great win there. I just I, I need to see more goals scored in the prem. I do too. Um, the prem, you know, it's I still think it's the hardest league in the world. Every prem team has you know transfer money, so they every team is rich in the Premier League. Um, and on top of that, you know, anybody on a on a Premier League game day, anybody can beat anybody, and that's what I love about the Premier League. Yeah, and look, Leicester versus. Go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead. I was just I was just gonna say that um, the thing that worries me as a Chelsea fan. Yes, I am enjoying this. You know, we've had a clean sheet, two clean sheets in a row. Uh, the one nil over Leeds, the two nil over Dortmund, the one nil over Leeds. Though our goal was off of a corner kick, and it was scored by our center back Wesley Fofana. It, it was a great goal. I'm not taking anything away from Wesley Fofana's goal, but Grayson. I would have liked to have seen maybe a 2-0 or a 3-0 win, and some of our goals actually come from open play instead of, because, instead of you know, a set piece. Because we know Chelsea's defense is there. It's been there all year long. But it, our, it's our attacking play that's the question mark. And if our only goal is from a center back off of a corner kick, that still is worrisome to me. Yeah, and it should be. Uh but what you have looking forward is Leicester's coming off of a 1-0 loss to Southampton, um, the second-worst team. Um, that makes it four losses in a row for Leicester. On top of that, Leicester haven't kept a clean sheet in six matches. Yep. So you've got that on your hand. Chelsea, on the other hand, have scored three goals uh, in the Prem since, like, January. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, terrible. So it doesn't look good for either side. I think it'll be a Chelsea 1-0 win. And since I called that goal a couple of weeks ago in the Chelsea match, I'm going to call this one as well. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to come from Raheem Sterling. He's going to score in two straight matches. I like it. Um, Raheem Sterling is such a good pickup. He's had a weird career. He's played for Liverpool, City, and Chelsea now. 
no no player really hops around you know the big six and the prim like that but yeah i like how you brought up you know the brutal loss to southampton and i'm even going to go um in depth further you know a, a lot of podcasts um a lot of the previous podcasts, I would talk about how Vardy needs to be benched for Ianacho. Well, since Ianacho has uh, been uh, has replaced Vardy in Leicester's starting lineup, it hasn't really been much better for Leicester. Ianacho, I think, finished the game against Southampton with like a five point seven, which is horrible, absolutely horrible. And it poses this question, Grayson, that I'm going to bring up to you: Dude, Leicester finally need to go into the transfer market for their striker. Because, look, Vardy hasn't been any any much better than Iheanacho uh, this season. And Iheanacho, when replacing him, you know, the past, like, three or four games also hasn't really been it. So what do you think Lester need to do? I don't know. I, I think that – I think Vardy needs a change of scenery, first of all. He spent, you know, his entire career in the Prem with Lester. It's been – what? When did they win the Prem? 2015? Uh, yeah, 2015, 16, something like that. It's been too long to let him keep riding off of that season. And that's yep. exactly what he's doing here. Go out, find somebody, even just a young guy in England. It doesn't have to be some big market-busting transfer. Find somebody in England that has even just the slightest bit of potential or has a bit of a resume already in the Prem, just bring them in to change this lineup up a little bit. It's all that needs like to happen. It. I like it. Or you can outbid PSG for um, Gonzalo Ramos. Nobody can outbid PSG. You're right. You're right. Unless you're um, like a Saudi team. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I liked the 1-0 match prediction by you. I think that one's super realistic. I'm actually going to go with a nil-nil draw. Unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't know about my Chelsea just yet, man. Fair. All right, let's talk about Spurs versus Nottingham Forest. So we're just talking about Spurs' situation, but you know, right now they sit fourth in the Prem. Uh, they are coming off of a loss to Wolves last week, um, but they got the two 0 win over Chelsea on February 26th, two 0 win over West Ham February 19th and a 1-0 win over Man City on February 5th. Nottingham Forest is in a weird spot here. They made some solid transfer moves in the winter window. The results just aren't showing it. In the last four, it's gone draw, loss, draw, loss. But they face a Spurs team that really sucks. The problem is Nottingham Forest sucks a little bit more. Exactly. Um. Yeah, Tottenham Tottenham haven't scored in three games. I, th- I think that's the biggest thing going into it. And Grayson, we've talked about it before. You got Harry Kane, you got Youngman's son, and you got Kulisevsky. I know he's only on loan, but I think Kulisevsky's a really good player who's also really not performing for Tottenham. And, you know, that's quite worrisome. I, I just think for Tottenham, it's easy. The only thing that Tottenham can do, I think, right now, and it's it's simple, I know it's a big deal because it's Harry Kane. Drop him and play with Charlison and see what happens. You got to do something because whatever you're doing right now is not working. Yep. And I, I agree. Look, Nottingham Forest have not won an away match in their last five. 
They're ranked 17th in the league in goals scored per match at .8. But Spurs can't score right now. If they're not going to make any changes, they're not going to score. It's going to be nil-nil. Oh, that's a good one. I I don't know. Nottingham Forest have just been on such a bad slide since uh, Kaylor Navas' debut on, uh, I think, the 23rd of February. Um, I, I feel like their luck has kind of run out with their new signings, even though I say luck, even though it was really only just one game that they won. I think Tottenham take it 1-0. All right. talk about Fulham versus Arsenal though so Arsenal obviously sits atop the league right now Fulham in seventh Arsenal they've won four straight and it kind of looks like there's no stopping them right now they're at 63 points now five ahead of Manchester City and they have to keep winning because Man City is also gonna keep winning it's inevitable Yep. Arsenal just has to keep going. And I feel like we're at a point where, you know, earlier in the season, we could have questioned their ability to keep going. Now, I, I think it's hard to say that they're not going to continue winning. Arsenal? Yeah. Really? I, I, I have them beating Fulham here. And the reason is, is like, Mitrovic is still not scoring. And I feel like Fulham, you know, they were they were really good the first half of the season, but it just feels like since the World Cup break, Fulham have been one of those teams where they started off high and there was a lot of hype around them, and now they're kind of on like just this slow, unfortunate decline. Um, you know, they're coming off of a three-two loss versus Brentford, who Brentford are actually kind of near the table, um, near Fulham in the table, I should say, but. Fulham's their entire midfield had below a 6.5 against Brentford, which is, you know, not very good at all. And Tot or not Tottenham, Arsenal are coming off of a 2-2 draw to Sporting. I, I checked the lineups. Arsenal, you know, surprise, surprise, kind of had to rotate their team around, um, you know, to rest players because, you know, your European games come midweek. I don't know. I, I think Arsenal still take it. I'm going to go 2-0 Arsenal. I think it's going to be closer than most think. Um, Fulham have actually played really well, especially at home, uh, unbeaten in their last four home appearances, while Arsenal is ranked number one this season uh, in away games. So I, I don't really know, but I think it's going to be a close one. I th- think I'm going to take Arsenal 2-1. I like it. I like one of those will be a penalty. Uh, Fulham have been awarded the most pe- – or sorry – one of the Fulham goals, or the only Fulham goal, is going to be a penalty. They've been awarded the most penalties this season. Solid take. All right. Manchester United versus Southampton. This is the get-right game for Man U. Yep. You're coming <laughs> off of the brutal loss. And, look, something, something's got to happen here. And this is the perfect time to do it because you're playing the 19th best team in the Prem. Yeah, Um and a thing that I wanted to highlight, you know, going back to that brutal 7-0 um, against Liverpool that Manchester United suffered, Bruno Fernandes and his body language was fucking horrible against Liverpool. Absolutely horrible. He was getting completely ran through the fucking grill by many, many former United players and just, you know, other pundits that have also played the game, you know, not necessarily from United. But 
he needed to step up. And Bruno Fernandes did that against Real Betis in the Europa League earlier this week. Manchester United won 4-1, which is a pretty good bounce back, I'd say. And Bruno ended up having a 9.2 match rating, which is very, very good. But I, I think Manchester United with the Betis game have kind of gotten it together. Of course, the Prem is, you know, it's a different different world. And, you know, Southampton are coming off of the 1-0 against Leicester. I don't know. It, it, it this will this will be an interesting game, I think. But I think United are going to take it three one. I like that. Yeah, United um, haven't lost to Southampton in their last fourteen meetings: seven wins, seven draws. Uh, Bruno is ranked second in big chances created in the Prem at eighteen. Uh, Southampton just simply doesn't score enough goals. Point eight per match. Uh, they're fourteenth in shots on target per match. Um, I think. It's not going to be all that close, and it'll be a 2-0 win for Man U. I like it. And another thing I wanted to bring up, actually, from uh, the Southampton-Leicester game is Southampton, obviously, I just said, won that game 1-0. Despite their 35% possession, they actually ended up with 11 shots, which I think tied Leicester. Five of them were on target from Southampton, so that that's pretty damn good. also wanted to highlight that Southampton's entire defense was above a 7 match rating so they were all solid and i think they'll, they're gonna play solid against united but i think united will just end up outclassing them yeah all right let's talk newcastle versus wolves and then we'll get into do you remember very quickly um look i newcastle is on the worst form they've been in all season uh they haven't gotten a win in the prem since january 15th a one nil win over fulham they have to win here. They've slid, I believe, they were at one point in third. Um, they now find themselves in sixth after three draws and two straight losses now. Something has to change here. And the thing is, is like, I can't really fault them for the two losses. They lose to Man City. Obviously, Man City is one of the best. They lose to Liverpool. Liverpool is on fantastic form. I can't say that like they should have won those games, but they shouldn't be giving up this many goals. Their whole, the whole like aspect of this team that was so good this whole season has been that they don't give up goals, and they've now given up four in their last two Premier League games. Yeah, it's not been very good for Newcastle. But you know, to your point that you just made, it's been super unfortunate. Um. Their last three games have been against Liverpool in the Premier League, which they ended up getting a red card and lost that game 2-0. You had the Carabao Cup final, which they played Manchester United and lost 2-0. And then you had last weekend's Premier League game where they played Manchester City and lost 2-0. I mean, they've they've played pretty much, you know, some of the top teams in, you know, England. And it, it's really unfortunate how it worked out for them. But you know, this is kind of the way it crumbles in the um, the English leagues is everybody's good. And I just kind of feel like with um, these three straight losses in a row coming to, you know, teams that probably are, you know, better than them on paper, I would say at least. I, I think I'm going to go ahead and say that Newcastle's form has been completely ruined for the entire rest of the season because of these three games. And I think they might lose against the Wolves here. Yeah, Wolves is also in an interesting spot here. They find themselves in 13th. They're, you know, not on fantastic form, but they are coming off of a 1-0 win over Tottenham. Yes. Um I I really don't know how I'm seeing this game. 
Look, Newcastle, most clean sheets still this season with 12. Um, Wolves, they're 19th in goals scored per match at .7. That's second worst. And then they're ranked 18th in shots on target per match. It's it's hard to say that Wolves is going to do anything in this match. But at the same time, Newcastle is missing Joelinton. He's suspended from the red card. Fabian Schar is out. It doesn't look great. I'm going to go 1-1 draw. I, I like that take. Um, in that um, 1-0 versus Tottenham that Wolves ended up winning, I wanted to highlight that the entire team was above a 6.5 match rating. And Jose Saw, the goalie, he ended up with an 8.3, six saves, and a clean sheet. I, with Newcastle's form and how Wolves played against Tottenham, I'm actually going to go bold here. I'm going to go 2-1 Wolves. I think Newcastle will finally get their goal, but I, I think the Wolves are going to outscore them. All right. Well, it does it for the Prem. We're about to hit the three-hour mark. Let's go through Do You Remember It, and then we'll get out of here. We're taking up all of your time. But you should be enjoying yourself. This has been a fantastic episode. Let's go ahead and do Do You Remember it. Luke, take the floor. Grayson, do you remember Kaka's Ballon d'Or in 2007? Well, based off of my flex of soccer knowledge before the episode, I remember yeah. that he won one. Yeah, he was the one player that uh, he was the the last player that won it before the Messi Ronaldo takeover, which you know ended in 2018 with Luka Modric, Modric's uh, 2018 uh, Ballon d'Or. I just for the do you remember? I just wanted to give you the top ten of, of this Ballon d'Or. It, it's an insane list. So Kaka, obviously number one, he won it. Me- Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo is next, followed behind Messi. No surprise at all. Then, uh, just just some childhood legends of mine, Grayson. Didier Drogba was fourth, the Chelsea striker. Love that guy. Andrea Pirlo was fifth. Rude Van Nistelrooy was sixth. A young Zlatan Ibrahimovic was seventh. Eighth was Cesc Fabregas. Ninth was Rubinho. And tenth was Francesco Totti from Roma. Wow. What a list. What a list, man. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, and Tottenham, uh, not Tottenham. Why am I? Why the fuck did I say Tottenham? Kaka ended up beating out Cristiano Ronaldo, who was you know second place by like three hundred votes. What? Yeah, he uh, Kaka was by far the winner in this Ballon d'Or. That is ridiculous. Yeah, and let's hear yours, man. All of a sudden, Ronaldo and Messi take over. Yep. Yeah, right. I want to talk about this because, you know, the World Baseball Classic has just started. I want to talk about the 2017 World Baseball Classic Championship game. Okay. Coming into this one, the U.S. team was pretty solid, um, but it could have been better. The pitching staff, really not that good. Um, You know, Andrew Miller was pretty good at the time. Chris Archer was pretty solid. Um, Marcus Stroman was kind of up and coming. Otherwise, not too much there. Um, Buster Posey was in this uh, team. He didn't actually get playing time in the championship game. Uh, infield, though, Paul Goldschmidt, Eric Hosmer, Ian Kinsler, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman before the Astros even won the World Series, uh, wow. Brandon Crawford for the Giants. Um, 
in the outfield. Adam Jones, who was kind of nearing the end of his career. Andrew McCutcheon, who at the time was kind of just coming out of this like top of the league status. Uh, John Carlos Stanton, who would become the MVP that season. And Christian Yelich, kind of a budding superstar uh, there in his, uh, right before his last season with the Marlins. And then Puerto Rico, on the other side in this game, had a fantastic team. Uh, the starter in the game, uh, the Miami-born Puerto Rican, as they prefer to call him, Seth Lugo, <laughs> was the starter for the championship game. Their lineup kind of made up by Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Carlos Beltran, Yadier Molina, Javi Baez, and Eddie Rosario, uh, amongst a couple of others. But the U.S. lineup was fantastic. Uh, it went uh, Kinsler, Jones, Yelich, um, and I believe Arenado, Hosmer, Stanton, or no, Crawford, Stanton, Luke Roy, uh, Jonathan Luke Roy being the catcher. Uh, the starting pitcher, Marcus Stroman, um, he was kind of emerging as a, a pretty good starting pitcher with the Blue Jays. Wasn't quite at the top of his game yet, but this game was wild. So the United States gets the starting or the scoring started. Uh two two uh, sorry two run home run by Ian Kinsler brings in Luke Roy in the top of the third. Uh top of the fifth, Yelich single brings home Kinsler. They take a 3-0 lead. Um, McCutcheon reaches on an infield single that scored Yelich, and they end the top of the fifth with a 4 0 lead over their territorial brothers in Puerto Rico. With two out in the top of the seventh, Arenado singles. Hosmer is hit by pitch. McCutcheon gets walked. That's bases loaded. Brandon Crawford hits a double, brings home Arenado and Hosmer. All of a sudden, you're up 6 0. Stanton single brings home one more, and they take a 7 0 lead. In the bottom of the seventh, or into the bottom of the seventh, uh, an infield single and a throwing error by who else but Javi Baez uh, brings home Arenado, and the Americans have taken a 8-0 lead in the top of the eighth. The U.S. goes on, beats Puerto Rico 8-0 in the first international baseball tournament that MLB players were picked to participate in, uh, asserting our dominance on the world and determining that baseball is and always be America's sport. Um, just to look ahead. Great Britain, you better watch the fuck out on Saturday. <laughs> we played your game in November, and you couldn't even beat us. You get to play ours, you bitches. Yeah. All right. It's going to do it for us. We, we've taken, at this moment, very moment, two hours and 59 seconds, and, or sorry, two hours, 59 minutes, and nine seconds. We're going to catch y'all next week. Sir. Peace. Deuce.